Live. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. Uh, we're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk Live. Thanks for joining us on American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I. We have a great show. We're going to be talking about the mycoplasmas. Do you know what that is? No, it's not a plasma screen TV thing. No, it's something different. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about inflammation, and we'll see how much time we have. We have a bunch of stuff we can cover, and a quack report, of course. But before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and semper fi to righteous men and women in uniform. I, as you know, lift them up in prayer every day, seek the Lord's face, hit the knees, humble myself, and have a conversation with the Creator. You can't have a creation without the Creator. And once you start to realize God owns everything, you know, we, we owe him everything. He owes us nothing. Then you get the picture, right? So I'm asking for righteous leadership in America. It is will be done, of course, and to guide everybody in America, you know, to cons- conduct themselves in a righteous manner. And, you know, because above all, we don't, want, we don't want upheaval. We want peace. Um, and you know what? And the way, one of the ways that uh, King David did that, was he play, He was able to pray against the enemies of God, and it's totally okay with God to do that. Yep. If you go to Psalms 55, uh, he was praying against God's enemies because God's enemies were David's enemies. So the enemies always suggest that our prayers are useless, that our faith is worthless, and our God is helpless. They they want us to believe that the success of the wicked and the progress of the new world order and the progressive enslavement of mankind is inevitable. You know, it's just like prepare to be assimilated kind of message. But they want us to believe that God is not going to hear us or help us, but boy, do they have a big wake-up call coming. Because God always, always honors your commitment. Every time. Just, you know, bank on it. So mind the time. Seek the Lord's face. It grows short. And without further ado, let's do the crack report. Oh, thank you, Frank. Oh, by the way, that little prayer segment was inspired by Pastor John Weaver. Great guy. Uh, let's see, what do we got up in the crack report? Uh, what really scares Big Pharma? Yeah, some people went on a rant about this. Uh, you know, what really uh, threatens Big Pharma is what? Health. People actually being healthy. That's what scares them, you know, because they make their money on disease and sickness. So um, your body is pretty powerful. And I think I'm trying to wake people up that they're more powerful than they think when they work with the system God gave them to support it. It's very efficient and successful. So you have a powerful self-healing immune system, and your healing potential doesn't really depend on your doctors, your drugs, or your surgery. So the real reason... The medical establishment really despises natural medicines is because they don't cause side effects. Uh, They're inexpensive and they're uh, uh, readily available and affordable. Um, But they don't create a whole lot of big revenue for doctors and pharmacies, so that's why. So we're living in a time where knowledge is monopolized by a power structure that wants people to, you know, remain illiterate, ignorant about you know, what you could do for yourself, right? So if you're in um, the business of selling drugs to sick, sick people, the only way that you keep and stay in business is to keep the people sick. Give them the illusion 
of the healing. You manage symptoms. So the drug companies never develop anything that would cure a disease. No, no, no. There's no uh, corporate entity that would deliberately commit financial suicide that way. Think about it. So by design, drugs don't solve health problems. They actually create repeat sales. They create side effects and a new health problem, see? So the treatment of one disease to cause another disease requires, you know, more pills, more treatment, and the pharmaceutical cartels know this. It's, it's the, perfect, the perfect, you know, product plan. It's a platform of making millions. And people on multiple pharmaceutical products are the least healthy in society. They think they're pretty healthy, but no. They're propped up on the crutch of a pharmaceutical company. So only one person has a vested interest in your health, and that's you. Right? Get empowered. All right, moving along on the quack report. Let's see, yeast infection. Uh, whoa, what's this? Um, this is uh, from a study, John Hopkins Medicine. They say yeast infections linked to mental illness. Uh, they say if you have a candida infection, um, it can contribute to memory loss. So the study prompted, let's see, they had researchers found a history of candida yeast infections more common in a group of men with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder than those without the disorders. When it came to the women with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder uh, who tested positive for candida or yeast, they performed worse on standardized memory tests than women who just had schizophrenia or bipolar disorder but no yeast infection. Isn't that weird? Mm. All right, last but not least in the quack report, um, you like action movies. You like to sit down in front of the tube and just, you know, chill for a couple hours, just, you know, forget your woes and, you know, ha- be entertained. Well, they did some research here. <laughs> uh, this is a journal of American Medical Association, if you believe all this research in these journals, by the way. Uh, they said that, you know, your sedentary activity of watching TV, they say people eat more when they're in front of the TV. But they eat more when they're watching uh, action-packed movies. Uh, so what they did is they, they, they took two groups, and uh, they put, you know, lots of snacks in front of them. And the group that was watching the action movie ate twice as much as those that were watching an interview program. So I don't know. Maybe people are nervous, you know, and they eat. some people eat when they're nervous, and, you know, action can keep you on the edge of your seat kind of thing. I can see that. And that wraps the quack report. Well, I got a solution to that. If you're going to go see some, you know, I don't know, blow them up, shoot them up kind of movie, and you don't want to eat your way through it, uh, well, then take some valerian root. <laughs> This is chill. All right. We're going to be talking about the mycoplasma. What the heck is that? Well, I got a couple of requests to do a show on this. This is why we're doing it. Uh, According to the CDC, they are reporting the identification of new bacteria. The new bacteria, they're called mycoplasma. 
and they report that they've currently identified about 17 new species. So this bacteria, they say, is characteristic, uh, has characteristics, and one of them is it's really tiny, extremely tiny. It falls into the classification of intermediate-sized bacteria, and scientists think it's related to a number of human diseases. So the, this bacterium does not always respond to antibiotic treatment. Therefore, you know, what can we do to protect ourselves against this tiny enemy, which you know, has the potential to really complicate our health? Well, we will need to be strong, have healthy immune systems, and we need to be able to have an immune system that will create an antibody defense. So we're going to learn about this, and we're going to see what our options are and how we can deal with it. Let's, uh, let's link up the disease. According to the re scientific research on the mycoplasma, uh, it may be a culprit for conditions they think such as walking pneumonia, inflama inflammatory type diseases, and um, conditions that mimic influenza. Hmm. So apparently this tiny bacteria, this mycoplasma, has a cycle, and scientists claim that human societies encounter heavy cases of mycoplasma bacteria diseases every four to eight years. It's kind of like a cycle. So infected people usually recover without any residual effects. However, young children with Im immature immune systems and the elderly who have weak immune systems have a harder time of rebounding from these types of infections. And it and it tends to be a real sneaky kind of bacteria, according to the research. Uh, the research seems to point to this tiny bacteria as having the ability to take advantage of any weak area of the body. So think of the bacteria as the cockroaches of infection. They can scanter into any nook or cranny and then wreak havoc at will. So the next time you experience a urinary tract infection, or any inflammation, especially in the genital region, the scientists think these microplasma bacteria could be the cause. They also think that tiny bacteria are linked to the sexually transmitted diseases. So the research on the colonies of bacteria that's associated with STDs is also known to bring complications. For instance, infants that are born to women with an STD can contract the disease and then the tiny bacteria can contribute to complications of pneumonia, lung disease, and other infections. So scientists are thinking that the tiny bacteria can make a disease or infection worse or ignite disease complications. Well, let's look at some of the statistics real quick. Uh, the CDC is telling us that 2 million Americans develop mycoplasma forms of pneumonia every year, and about 100,000 of them are going to end up hospitalized. So the mortality rate is low for healthy individuals, and the majority of the mortality cases really involve elderly and those with some type of blood disease, so sickle cell or lupus, that kind of thing. So the microplasma bacteria can really target the age group between the ages of 5 and 40. And the species of mycoplasma bacteria is contagious. It's spread through bodily fluids. So people who have uh, the complication of a microplasma bacteria are going to be sick for about one to four weeks. 
And people who allow their immune system to create the antibody will have lifelong protection from that particular strain. Now, some scientists state that an antibody is really not going to provide you lifelong immune protection if the bacteria mutates. However, your immune system, so sophisticated, creator did this. God made adaptive cells in your immune system which can quickly manufacture a new antibody based on its previous information of the bacteria. That is so cool. So using antibodies or immune suppressant drugs, especially if you're HIV or had an organ transplant, you can experience a more difficult time overcoming this type of bacteria. Patients will have really uh, no ability to create the antibody because they're on those drugs. So how can you tell that you have a mycoplasma bacterial infection? Well, how would you know? Uh, That's a good question. So what we're told is that if you have a mycoplasma bacterial complication infection, your symptoms develop gradually. And in a majority of the cases, the patients also have flu symptoms with their disease. So they complain of a sore throat, a headache, fever, a cough, and some chills. And in other cases, patients uh, could experience headaches, eye pain, muscle aches, and stiffness and weakness and stiff joints and mobility issues, a rash, swollen neck glands, and breathing problems. So in the case of uh, the disease that is called mycoplasma walking pneumonia, the patients can experience either a mild or severe case of the disease. So physicians need to culture the disease to truly identify it if it is a mycoplasma type. And in the case of walking pneumonia, maybe a chest x-ray can also assist in that diagnosis. But the problem is the mycoplasma does not easily grow cultures for testing fast enough. Usually, it'll take a few days to culture organisms, but the microplasma takes much longer to culture, and therefore, eh, the culture tests are rarely ordered. So, what does medicine do about it? What are the medical treatments? Hmm. Well, usually, uh, medical doctors will prescribe antibiotics. However, a majority of the people with healthy immune systems eventually get over the infection without any drugs. So symptoms usually resolve themselves within four weeks. However, the lingering symptoms of maybe a dry cough and some fatigue can hang on for another month. So be very careful with how you treat microplasma infections because in some instances, prescribed medications may be necessary and in other instances can make the condition worse. So according to a British website called netdoctor.com, There's a case on there where they prescribed antibiotics for a cough that was followed by a bout with a bad cold. Um, And so what they had was, you know, the micro, uh, the mycoplasma, and it made it a more severe respiratory condition when she got treated with the antibiotic. So in this one case, the patient experienced a bad cold followed by a cough and loss of her voice, that too. So the antibiotics prescribed were erythromycin, And um, when the patient ended up not responding very well and also then needed a steroid inhaler in order to breathe. So the patient was given another round of antibiotics and told that their steroid inhaler was most likely going to be a lifelong treatment. 
So I guess her doctor wrote her 12-month prescription, at least, for uh, fixed oxide, you know, inhaler, maybe. Well, in many cases where the cough is present, the diagnosis may be atypical uh, pneumonia. So the microplasma bacteria are very small bacteria, and they lack a cell wall. Therefore, it is unaffected by antibiotics designed to attack the cell wall of the, of the germ, the bacteria. So uh, drugs like penicillin and uh, beta-lactam antibiotics, not going to work. So when the antibiotic drugs ending in omycin fail to work, then the doctors tend to prescribe the tetracycline drugs. And be careful because if you're on that stuff, it can turn your teeth irreversibly gray in color. Also, steroid inhalers for lung complications, if they're prescribed, of course. Uh, the problem with the steroid inhalers, though, if you're on them for a while, uh, can create scar tissue in the lungs, and that creates another pulmonary problem altogether. So what about complications? Well, for the most part, the elderly are the ones that are more at risk of complications with the severe respiratory distress with the mycoplasma bacterium. Uh, there are also some rare complications that can crop up, such as um, pericarditis, which is inflammation of the heart sac, uh, anemia, which is your low red blood cells, nervous system diseases like Guillain-Barre, and encephalitis and meningitis, which is inflammation of the brain or brain lining and spinal cord. Well, are there any prevention measures? Well, yeah. Um, the spread of the mycoplasma bacteria can be reduced when we do hand washing, you know, a little bit of sanitation. And also avoid sharing your eating utensils, you know, drinking out of the same cups, you know, sharing a bite of food. No, don't do that. Uh, I would also add staying away from the bacteria bars, which is all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, also follow safe practices with regard to intimacy because 50% of sexually active people already have a form of mycoplasma bacteria infection. Woo. Well, um, patients are looking for options because I've gotten requests to cover this health problem and they asked what I would do if I had a mycoplasma bacterial infection. Well, according to the research, you can assume you have a mycoplasma bacterial infection if it's hard to get rid of after many weeks, and especially if doctors are rolling out the anti-inflammatory steroids. Personally, I avoid the antibiotics and the steroids, and I prefer to use herbs that can assist and strengthen the immune system and also reduce the inflammation. I encourage people to, you know, get some rest because rest, um, you know, you, you got to have that and resist that pressure to return to work or school prematurely. So getting adequate rest is, is rest is a huge uh, component of helping your body eradicate disease. So in the case of microplasma bacterial infections, three days is not enough to rest before you resume your normal routine. So it may be necessary to obtain a doctor's excuse regardless of whatever treatment plan you go with, you know. Some people say, well, I want to go to the doctor. Well, at least you can get a diagnosis. Pray it's the right one. And you, you have the option to take their recommendations or not. So at least you know what you're dealing with, right? And then you can look for your natural solutions to those problems. 
Uh, here are my herb picks. Uh, there are lots of herbs, you know, at our disposal. And uh, here's my list of what I would do if I had wanted to clear a microplasma bacteria. I would counteract the fatigue. I would use a, I would supercharge the body with whole food vitamins and minerals, amino acids, and plant proteins. And you'll find that in uh, the body food mix that the folks at Apothecary Herbs have. You just stir it into juice or water. And you got to have live enzyme nutrition in order to fight infection. I would also use either the American or the Siberian ginseng uh, to support the immune system. And it also helps the filtering organs eradicate the pathogens more quickly. So you'll find those tinctures, American and Siberian ginseng, they're both at thepowerherbs.com site. Also, ginseng is very valuable. It helps reduce fatigue, especially if you're dealing with a long convalescence, okay? Uh, now, if the microplasma bacteria is causing a respiratory issue, uh, then I'd use the pneumonia kit, and this kit also has an herb formula to help dilate the bronchial for easier breathing and remove any congestion. So, you know, forget the steroids. You can, uh, there's herbs for that. And uh, if there is a persistent dry cough, well, then I like to use the thyme tincture. Um, it helps you get some sleep if you're coughing too much. If you have a compulsive cough, whether it's dry or not, thyme tincture will help you get some rest. Uh, now, for any discomfort or inflammation, then I add the herbs that reduce that inflammation and pain. They have a salicin in them. Uh, I like to use personally willow bark and meadowsweet, but that's in their pain anti-inflammatory tincture, also at the powerherbs.com website. And then lastly, echinacea root, definitely going to be using that because it'll shorten your duration of illness. It works with your immune system to make the antibodies. It boosts the and supports your immune system function. And they have several formulas with echinacea in there under their immune system tab. So you can find that at the powerherbs.com. Uh, so, you're going to find all these tools made by Apothecary Herbs at thepowerherbs.com, or you can call and order, too. The number's toll-free at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., it's 704-885-0277. And, of course, thepowerherbs.com, that's where your healthcare options just became endless. Do ask for a free product catalog, and if you're on the website, uh, you can sign up also for their free online newsletters. They're, they go out each week and uh, get empowered there. Um, also, there's coupons on their website if you want to check that out. If you do not have Internet access, but you can always ask for the coupons over the phone and um, save money at the same time. So it's, there's lots of ways to save. So thepowerherbs.com, give them a call, 866-229-3663, because the mycoplasma bacteria is not a flu season kind of thing, you know. You ever get one of those summer colds? Microplasma. Yeah, so mycoplasma is around, and you can pick it up, um, especially if you've got grandkids, and they've been picking it up. Yeah, just, just you know, have some things on hand and uh, so you can boost your immune system uh, in a skinny minute if you have to, thepowerherbs.com. All right, I know, I'm coming up to a break in a minute, but we're going to be also, when we come back, we're going to be talking about inflammation, uh, you know, reducing that uh, inflammation when we have to. But it is part of the immune system uh, response, so we want to be, you know, selective in uh, inflammation reduction. Uh, also, we're going to see what, you know, what kicks off inflammation 
um, and what we can use nutrition-wise to help reduce that, um, you know, omega-3 fatty acids and some herbs, awesome stuff to have in your pantry, in your cabinet, and it's empowering. That's what it is. It's putting the power back in your hands. That's what I like about it. You know, it's what the pharmacies and the pharmaceutical companies don't like is you self-medicating and figuring it out and doing just fine. You know, because God said herbs are here for the service of man. He put them here for you to use. That's what he did. That's right. None of this synthetic stuff. No, no. Because when you have whole foods, nutrition in your herbs, it works right without side effects. (laughs) The perfect chemistry. Guess who created that? That would be God. He knows what he's doing. All right, going to take a break. We'll be right back. into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. The ancient Greeks thought thyme herb provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb When it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis, the extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for thyme tincture and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. trust anyone wearing a mask, robbers, cattle rustlers, or doctors. I listen to Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, 
or online at PowerHerbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life, and you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. going to be talking about inflammation, pain and inflammation. You know, no one likes pain. No one likes any swelling and inflammation. But if we understand it a little better, we can manage it better. Because we spend millions on avoiding pain and inflammation with all those over-the-counter stuff. Uh, But what we do is we just block pain and temporarily reduce inflammation in the body. But what are we really doing when we do that? Well, pain and inflammation is really the body's built-in damage control mechanism. So this kind of assault on the body can be from a trauma or bacteria, like the microbacteria, um, and microplasma bacteria even, the new ones they just discovered. So uh, viruses, you can't forget those, and fungus. Um, even some external toxins can create that. So when we reduce pain and inflammation, uh, we're 
what are we doing? We're blocking a reaction, but it may not be recommended that we do that. So we have to understand what we're doing. Um, the next time, let's say your feet swell and you can't get them to go down, you know, uh, you put them up and they're not going down, or your arm swells to twice its normal size, maybe because a bee stung you, you got to first realize that's a normal response. And the second one really needs attention, right? So if you've been on your feet all day and they're swollen, it's because you've been on your feet all day. But the bee thing, we gotta, it needs attention. So the inflammation and swelling are the body's natural way of containing the damage from beginning. Uh, and also, it's part of the restoration process, too, when you, when you see that. So there's a, a wide range of inflammatory responses in the body, and it can be minimal and subtle, and it can be extremely noticeable. So inflammation is actually an acute phase of system repair. So after the repair is complete, the inflammation response goes to normal. It's terminated. The body's done fixing it. So if your inflammatory response is not shutting off, then you have uh, an issue that needs attention. So what could be the cause of chronic inflammation? Well, if you have a chronic inflammatory response, it could be because the body is in a continuous defense mode. For instance, if you have a yeast infection, like a candida issue, it's building up in the system, or maybe you have heavy metal, and the body will have, you know, a repeated attempt to fight off this kind of threat, and the inflammation, inflammation process builds up and doesn't turn off. So this kind of constant inflammation will overstress and weaken the system over time. So a good analogy is if you were to leave the light bulb on, and eventually it burns out, okay? Well, let's look at your inflammation and your immune system because inflammation is part of the immune system response and the immune system can become weakened with a condition of constant inflammation. So over time, an inflammation response that is stuck on on and gives disease the foothold it needs. And it's not just an inflammatory type of disease we're talking about. Some of the kinds of diseases that can, can occur like type 2 diabetes, Obesity, cancer, heart disease, stroke, fibromyalgia, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. So let's look at the problem that inflammation causes. Inflammation is really another chronic condition of our modern age. Aside from the obvious, inflammation exposes us to delays in discovering the cause of the problem in a lot of cases. Inflammation is the stumbling block to doctors in offering a proper diagnosis. That's why they want to use the steroids all the time. So many patients with inflammatory disease can have vague and unexplained symptoms. So their lab results are, you know, usually showing up within normal limits. And then the referral from, to a specialist, a specialist, you know, to try to figure out what's causing this problem. So getting a proper diagnosis can um, take a while if you have inflammation issues. Let's look at some studies. The American Heart Association and the CDC report that those with chronic inflammation will have higher levels of C-reactive proteins called CRP, and that'll be in your bloodstream. Tests have been developed to detect this protein and see if the patients are at a higher risk of heart disease or stroke. So keep in mind that a blood test, or CRP, will not diagnose the cause of the inflammation. And studies have shown that ginger root can block an inflammation response. 
So this is no doubt the reason ginger root is included in a lot of topical creams and rubs to reduce inflammation and improve range of motion. Wow, ginger, who knew, right? Uh, what about viral and bacterial culprits? Well, sometimes chronic inflammation is due to a virus, and some viruses like HIV or Epstein-Barr or hepatitis, herpes, that kind of thing. So the bacteria can cause peptic ulcers also, and uh, bacteria res responsible for Lyme's disease can also be a culprit for inflammation. And heavy metals and food allergies and even mold can be the problem. So a lot of dental treatments, inoculations that contain uh, heavy metals can contribute to these metal toxins. Uh, this, uh, uh, along with food allergies, they can create inflammation responses as well. So foods like dairy, corn, soy are commonly found in processed foods, and you may want to avoid those for a few weeks just to see. Environmental allergies like mold can also trigger inflammation responses as well. Now, what about allopathic treatments? Can they help? Well, the medical community will prescribe an avalanche of drugs, antifungal drugs, antibiotics, over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which could increase your risk of things like stroke and heart attack or gastrointestinal bleeding. Chelation therapy has been mentioned. You know, it's a heavy metal reduction treatment. Uh, that may be recommended with uh, systematic enzymes and probiotics. Well, it could work for you. Uh, over 50% of the American population, adults and children, tend to be on a prescription drug, though. So uh, that tells you where most people go. they they rather just pop the pill. Is there any nutrition that needs to be replaced if you have a lot of pain and inflammation? Well, Replacing your trace minerals and getting more omega-3 fatty acids, antioxidants, with organic unrefined salt and olive oil, fish, nuts, seeds, going to be real important. Help reduce that inflammation. So you want to avoid the fast foods, the processed foods. Uh, they contribute to a lot of inflammation. Avoid dairy products that tend to coat the digestive tract with a lot of mucus and trap toxins in. Uh, the American diet really very poor in nutrition, tends to put 10 times the normal amount of toxic omega-6 fatty acids into the body, creating an inflammation situation. So you talk about inflammation plus, uh, with, you know, I'm talking about all the oils on your snacks, especially. Ugh. So if, you, if we limit also the uh, processed meats, the refined sugar, and make sure maybe do complex carbs instead of, you know, you know, the single carbs, the simple carbs, the diet, clean the diet up, get some more apples going, uh, maybe black currants. Uh, I love fish. Uh, if you can get some really good, clean, healthy fish, uh, mackerel, sardines, salmon, for instance, those have a lot of fish oil and omega-3s, garlic, ginger, we mentioned the ginger earlier, onion and cayenne, pineapple, is also great for inflammation. A lot of people don't realize it is. And I don't know to you, if you, if you get fresh pineapple and you, and you slice it up, I put a little Celtic sea salt on mine. It tastes like candy to me. It's like so sweet. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm, on, I'm on cloud nine having some fresh pineapple with a little Celtic sea salt on it. Yummy. Um, also sage herb counters. So all these foods will counter the bad omega-6 acids that tend to inflame us 
and cause a lot of inflammatory type diseases. So you can fight back with food, right? Change the diet. You have that power right now. So there you go. Um, also, use um, the healthy oils. Get rid of the uh, omega-6 vegetable oils. You know, put the olive oil or the coconut oil. It's less inflammatory to the system. Um, you'll reduce your risks of heart attack, thrombosis, stroke, arrhythmia, arthritis, mood disorders, osteoporosis, and even cancer when you clean up the diet, okay? Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the omega-3 fatty acids for a minute. Uh, if you have your body, um, you, in your body you have these hormonal-like substances. They're, co- they're called postagulins and leukotyrenes. And these, um, which are, you know, they, which are made by breaking down enzymes, the fatty acids, for instance. Um, so when you eat certain foods that have a lot of fatty acids in them, it creates this uh, chain reaction of postagulins and leukotyrenes for your hormones. Uh, probably people say, well, so what? Well, if, if you can't make enough postagulins and leukotyrenes for the hormones, you're going to have health problems. Because hormones carry a lot of cell messengers throughout the body because your body organs are all chemically communicating because you're all working, they're working together. And almost like a big orchestra, they, they have a part to play and they feed off of one another on function. So there's these chemical messengers in these hormones and which help regulate things like your immune system and also it helps regulate the inflammation response. So, the Mediterranean diet, tons of omega-3 fatty acids built into it. So, if you switch to that, um, you probably have no problems with inflammation after that. If you stick to that, don't cheat, you know, don't cheat. I mean, you know, forget the prepackaged stuff. Just do it yourself. Make it yourself. Keep it simple. Um, Now, in 500 B.C., the Chinese would use willow bark for pain and inflammation issues. The Greeks, uh, the Western naturopaths and Native American Indians all use willow bark for pain and inflammation. And studies from the 19th century show that willow bark contains salicin and reduces inflammation and pain. Now the German Ink Commission recommends willow bark for headaches, fever, muscle and joint pain and inflammation. So willow bark with meadow sweet herb natural anti-inflammatory pain reliever right there with no side effects. It is totally the bomb, as my kids would say. So um, you have some tools, and you can just, you know, just melt that inflammation away and all the problems that could come with it, along with it when the body regulates and gets back to normal. So your lifestyle is going to be their biggest piece of the puzzle Getting more omega-3 fatty acids into the diet can really jumpstart your recovery and power you up uh, using the herbs with it. And you're going to find uh, apothecary herbs have the anti-inflammatory willow bark and sweets in their pain. They also have it in an extra strength form if you're having a really bad day. Uh, so you have your choice there. Um, they also have the ginger root in a liquid. Um, they have some ginger root in their rubs. They have some deep um, tissue penetrating rubs to give you 
less pain and more range of motion. So you can check that out there. They have the wonderful Celtic sea salt if you're low on your minerals, okay? And um, they have organ cleansing there if you want to get the heavy metals out that seem to be bogging down your system and burdening it on a cellular level. So um, you can actually pull out over 2,000 pharmaceutical residues with a bowel cleanse. You can also pull out the radioactive particles if you've had x-rays, if you fly a lot and go through the airport security. Uh, you can pull out the heavy metal if you have, you know, silver fillings in your teeth. Uh, so there's tools here. God wanted you to have choices, and herbs are here for the service of man. And um, I would trust that over the pharmaceutical company any day. But that's just me. Uh, so if you're interested in learning how to cleanse and nourish the body, boost the immune system, and, you know, sidestep a lot of health problems, then give the folks at Apothecary Herbs a call, and they'll send you a free product catalog. Their number's toll-free at 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277. That's 704-885-0277. 0277 or visit them online at thepowerherbs.com. All right, we got a few minutes. I'm just checking my notes to see what I could fit in. Um, I got a bunch of stuff here, but uh, can't cover it adequately in the short time we have left. So uh, we're going to pick something that kind of gives us a little sound bite, sound bite of health. <laughs> um, I want to just touch on a little bit of our metabolism, uh, kind of a complex network, but when we understand it a little better, how it deals with nutrition, it can help us figure out how our choices really do impact our health and how we can make healthier ones and uh, be empowered by that. So in our metabolism, we see a lot of chemical compounds and various exchanges. Um, there's a lot of reactions that happen. Um, cells communicate together chemically. Um, it's like a well-rehearsed dance, if you will. Um, so if one dancer gets out of line and steps on another one's toes, there could be a cascade of reaction causing chaos. Hmm? So without having good order in the body, metabolism-wise, um, it's highly likely we're going to have an uncontrolled response we don't want. Negative reactions can occur. So let's check this out. So the highly controlled metabolic process, kind of like a Broadway play or a ballet, if you will. Everybody has its part to play. The chemical exchanges within the metabolism take two basic forms, building up the tissues and breaking down substances. So breaking down substances provides fuel, okay, and then building up of tissues is the repair process. So um, when this is well done and orchestrated, these two chemical exchanges are, well, they give us a healthy metabolism. That's what it does. So it's a biochemical process, um, kind of similar in the plant and animal kingdom as well, by the way. So in, um, previously I've talked on the show about, you know, herbs uh, which have this nutrition that influence the body has medicinal value and influences the body. So science would have us think that herbs really don't have any value, medicinal value at all. Um, but you have to remember that 
from 1959 to 1980, one out of four prescribed medications by the AMA physicians in the United States were derived from herbs. So now they make a bunch of synthetic stuff out of petrochemicals because it's cheaper. But if we add now the -the over-the-counter medications to the prescription drugs, the percentage of those products containing herbs jumps to about 50%. So an example is aspirin. The most widely used drug all over the world is aspirin. Made used to be made from natural salicin from the white willow bark. And all the compounds in your anacetaminophenes, the alkaloids found in ephedra herb, your decongestants for over-the-counter, uh, your epinephrine is from ephedra. These are herbs. So if herbs were so impotent and worthless, why are they using them to make drugs out of them? Hmm? Well, due to the way that our laws are written and how new medications are developed and marketed, it can create a double-edged sword, really. Drug companies rely on patents to help them recover the cost of product development. So they have to come up with a unique chemical to address the specific molecule structure in order to patent their drug. So even though garlic is a proven broad-spectrum antibiotic, has, has great benefits, they know this, it'll never be used by drug companies because they can't patent it. Uh, they can't seem to get an isolated component of it that'll work right. See, garlic's very complex. And you have to have all those alkaloids working together for it to do its job. So isolated, modified chemicals is really what the drug companies, you know, specialize in in order to get patents. But this is why you have side effects. Because when you look at medicinal um, properties, compounds, a lot of times they'll have other nutrients like minerals for an uptake and buffer alkaloids so that the body can use only what it needs without having to take too much and then it can void out what it doesn't need safely. So when you strip that away, there goes the safety net and the way the body is able to properly handle the compound. And this is why you get side effects from drugs. But when you use the whole food herb, it works great. Um, well, and then there's lots of research that still they're doing on a lot of herbs and um you know, the areas that haven't been adequately researched, many experts in the natural health field think that, you know, plants are safer than your laboratory isolated chemicals. Consumers often ask if the herbs can modify or reduce the side effects of a drug they're taking. I'm saying, why are you taking a drug? You know, but um, to each his own. Consumers are, you know, you know they, 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 consumers trust their doctor. Yeah, I'm not saying doctors are all bad, you know. They're just trained a certain way. Let's put it that way. Uh, So when you isolate plant alkaloids and you strip them of buffer alkaloids and uh, uptake minerals, you're going to get side effects. So it's important when you get your supplements or you use your herbs that they're they're whole plant-based. They haven't been stripped. They haven't been isolated. They haven't been cooked to death. Okay, they haven't been through a process that really, you know, alters them. You know, so forced extraction processes create heat, makes the product real quick, but makes an inferior product. Um, 
Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, certain certain herbs have to have minerals like potassium in them in order for the body to use them right. So there's this balance. That's what we're talking about here. And who created the balance? God did. Uh, so I, I would say whatever you do to help your body, you know, keep a healthy balance about it. Um, that'll make sure that your metabolism is strong. So consumers really need um, to be more selective, do more homework when it comes to not only their medications, their foods, but also their supplements. So everything is a medicine, really, when you think about it. Your food is a medicine. Your water is a medicine. And without fluids, you would dehydrate and die. So God installed in a lot of his herbs these chemicals that shouldn't be isolated. They work together, sort of like dancers in a ballet, right? So removing one thing throws off everything else. And so I, I trust the chemistry of our creator before I trust the laboratory. And um, so far, so good. I've been using herbs for, goodness, I'm going on 30 years now. Haven't poisoned myself yet. <laughs> So that's a good thing. Well, if you'd like to learn more, because it is a learning curve, and I encourage you because, you know, it, it empowers you. I mean, it, you get your feet wet, and then you're not so intimidated and afraid. You know, think for yourself. You know, get get knowledge. Uh, you know, that's what it's about, you know, doing it the right way, the safe way. Uh, there's a book on the PowerHerbs.com website. It's called The Power Herbs. It is a download. So we, it's emailed. The link downloads emailed to you, and you can put it on your device. Uh, they have it's in different formats, so be careful in selecting which format you want. So if you want a PDF or a Kindle or an iPad, uh, select that from the drop-down. The default is the PDF, by the way. So if you just throw it into your shopping cart and you didn't select, it's going to send you the PDF one. So you will learn so much about herbs, you will be amazed. And it's fourteen dollars and ninety-nine cents, the best fourteen bucks you've ever spent. Uh, thepowerherbs.com. I wrote it, and I wrote it for you to get familiar and not be afraid of the power God wants to put into your hands. Yep, a healing power, a health power, you know, a thriving power, you know. That's what he wants. Herbs are here for the service of man. Yep, I like them. That's why I became an herbalist. It was like the best-kept secret, Right? Powerherbs.com can help you out. Give them a call, 866-229-3663, and get a catalog. Yep, you just flip through the catalog. If you got questions, just call. Most people do, you know. The catalog is very informative, but they still have questions. So um, get a catalog. It's free. Sign up for the newsletters. It's free. Or get you a Power Herbs book. It's just 14 bucks. And get empowered at powerherbs.com. Well, I can see by the clock, I'm out of time. But I'll be back on Thursday, and of course, we'll have lots of things to talk about then to empower you, always. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent a cure disease. Seek medical advice if you dare before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, wishing you all to be well.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
friends, good evening, and welcome to the Covenanters Call. This is Pastor Mike Hoover, and we are broadcasting live from stormy southern Indiana. Matter of fact, just about 15, 20 miles south of our state line, we've already had three tornadoes, lots of damage down there, so you might remember those folks in your prayers. But we are coming to you live. Now, I've, uh, I've been suffering with the flu since about last Friday. I'm just starting to come down off that flu high if there is such a thing. So I'm going to take my time this evening. If I stop and cough a little bit, take a break and drink water, you'll understand. But we're here and we're looking forward to being with you for the next hour. If you want to call us, we are a Bible call-in question and answer program. That number here at American Voice Radio, 1-800-932-1980. Once again, 1-800-932-1980. And uh, also our local call-in number, if you'd like to do that, save a dime for the broadcasting network. That's 541-826-0953. 541-826-0953. We welcome those of you on KU Band Satellite Galaxy 19 Transponder 23, Frequency 12115, and of course all of the other ways and means in which you can listen to American Voice Radio. We appreciate you being here with us this evening. Let me remind you of several things. First of all, um, it's been several weeks since I have been on the air live, but uh, I'd like to share a story with you very quickly and appreciate your prayers. Some of you will remember that have been longtime listeners to the Covenanters call that about three years or so ago, we had a young boy uh, by the name of Caden that uh, passed away in our church family. A little boy had leukemia, and for about 18, the last 18 months of his life, we watched him slowly uh, grow weaker and eventually go home to be with the Lord. Uh, we're thankful that we knew Caden, thankful that he's with the Lord, and we're thankful for his mom and dad and their family. While Caden was in the hospital there in Cincinnati Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, across town in another hospital, Uh, His mother was giving birth to one of his sisters, little Helen Rose. And uh, Helen Rose is a uh, blue-eyed, toe-headed, beautiful little girl and uh, just a great blessing in our church family. Several weeks ago, uh, little Helen Rose was diagnosed with the same type of leukemia. Uh, The doctor there at the hospital who has worked with tens of, uh, excuse me, with thousands of Uh, Children, as her patients said, this is only the third time in all her career that she's ever seen a sibling in the same family get the same type of leukemia. Well, little Helen Rose began her chemo treatments within the last week, and uh, she's scheduled to be there in Cincinnati Children's Hospital for the next 30 days before they can release her at all. She's doing well. She is uh, three and a half years old, and uh, they've told her parents, that she is in the 90th percentile for possible recovery. So we appreciate your prayers for little Helen Rose. Uh, Keep her mom and dad in prayer. Their names don't matter, but uh, uh, she has a sister and brother and baby brother, and her mother is expecting another child at this time. Uh, This family has been strong in the Lord, and they've gone through a number of things, and we saw a great victory in their lives Uh, as the Lord saw fit to take their little boy, Caden, home just a few short years ago. And now they face another battle, but they are firm in their belief that God is in control. And I know that they would appreciate your prayers. So you'll be praying for them. Then secondly, Lord willing, on Sunday, uh, Brother Ben Wart, man that uh, has known me longer than I have been alive, if you believe that, knew my mother when she was growing up, 
dear friend of ours, worked with him for five years in the ministry. Uh, he's going to be with us here at Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church beginning Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on those weeknights. Now, we're looking forward to a good time with Brother Wharton. He has been with us every year, and now as he approaches his 80th year, his eighth decade of life, um, he's one of my favorite preachers. So we'd like to extend that invitation to you. If you are in our area, we'd love to have you come down and be with us. And then remember as well, 6, 7, 8, and 9 of June, uh, the annual Ecclesiastical Law Center Conference up there in Union City, Indiana, where our son, Keith Hoover, is the pastor. And uh, that will be a conference we look forward to. It's going to be a great time in the Lord there at the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church. And if you want to hear some preachers that really believe that uh, the church is the church and the civil government has no business sticking its nose in, then this is the conference you need to go to. Listen to me. None of these men speak and have a church that's registered, folks. No 501c3s here. We believe Jesus Christ is Lord of the church, and the government has nothing to do with his church. So that's coming up here soon as well. So we want to remind you uh, of those things. Boy, don't we live in a, in a strange time. I'll tell you what, I just got to deal and mention a couple of things to you here uh, before we proceed uh, into our message. But uh, did, you, did you read the article today about the, the Methodist church? Now, you know, there was a time when the Methodists stood upon the principles and precepts of the Word of God. They no longer do, for the most part. Now, if that bothers you, then I simply suggest that you check them out. Excuse me, dozens of homosexual and lesbian clergy members, 111 of them to be exact, signed on to a letter that protests the United Methodist ban on LGBTs serving in ministry positions. If that doesn't bother you, there's something wrong with you. If you thought this was going to be a politically correct broadcast, then you've turned into the wrong broadcast. One more thing. It's become a great uh, pastime for those out there that would like to revise our history. They do it in many ways. They try and erase the true facts of the history of this country. And by no means am I saying this evening, folk, that our country has always been or was totally a Christian nation. There were people that were godly people that were involved in its beginnings, and there are still a few left today. But one of the ways the revisionists as well try to tear down our history is they, they try to tear down heroes. One of them is a man by the name of Thomas Jefferson. I know Thomas Jefferson had his difficulties. Some would say, well, we shouldn't criticize the Muslims because Jefferson owned the Quran himself. Let me share a little story with you to see. The first nation to recognize my country was Morocco, stated President Obama in Cairo, Egypt, June the 4th, 2009. Morocco began recognizing American colonists in 1625. Governor William Bradford described the incident in the history of the Plymouth Settlement. Two pilgrim ships had been sent back to England carrying dried fish and 800 pounds of beaver skins to trade for supplies. They were well within the English Channel, almost in sight of Plymouth. 
But there she was unhappily taken by a Turkish man of war and carried off to Morocco. Where the captain and the crew were made slaves. Now, by the ship being taken by the Turks, all American trade was dead. Muslim pirates of Morocco raided European coasts and carried away over a million to the North African slave markets, where also tens of millions of Africans were sold into slavery. In 1627, Algerian Muslim pirates, led by Marat Reis the Younger, raided Iceland and carried 400 into slavery. One captured girl who'd been made a slave concubine in Algeria was rescued back by King Christian IV of Denmark. On June 20, 1631, the entire village of Baltimore, Ireland, that has been called the Stolen Village, was captured by Muslim pirates. Only two of them ever returned. Thomas Osborne Davis wrote in his poem entitled The Sack of Baltimore, 1895, The yell of Allah breaks above the shriek and roar. Oh, bless God, the Algerian is Lord of Baltimore. Desk Ekid wrote in The Stolen Village, Baltimore and the Barbaric Pirates, Here was not a single Christian who was not weeping, and who was not full of sadness at the sight of so many honest maidens and so many good women abandoned to the brutality of these barbarians. Kidnapped Englishman Francis Knight wrote, I arrived in Algiers, that city fatal to all Christians, and the butchery of mankind. Moroccan Sultan Moulay Ismail had 500 wives, mostly captured from Europe, and forced 25,000 white slaves, yes, I said white, to build his enormous pallets at McNiff. He was witness killing an African slave just to try out a new hatchet he was given. The Catholic order Trinitarians, or Mathurians, collected alms to ransom slaves. Morocco recognized the new country of the United States in 1785 by capturing two American ships and holding them for ransom. Thomas Jefferson wrote to John Jay in 1787, there is an order of priests called the Mathurians, the object of whose institution is to beg alms for the redemption of captives. They keep members alway in Barbary, searching out the captives of their country, and redeem, I believe, on better terms than any other body, public or private. It occurred to me that their agency might be obtained for the redemption of our prisoners at Algiers. In 1786, Thomas Jefferson wrote to William Carmichael regarding Tripoli's demand for an extortion tribute payment. Mr. Adams and I have conferences with a, or excuse me, had conferences with the Tripolian ambassador named Abdrahaman. He asked us 30,000 guineas for a peace with his court. When Jefferson asked the Muslim ambassador what the new country of America had done to offend them, he reported to John Jay, March the 28th, 1786. The ambassador answered us that it was written in their Quran that all nations who should not have acknowledged Islam's authority 
were sinners, that it was their duty to make war upon them and to make slaves of all they could take as prisoners. Jefferson purchased a Quran to understand the enemy. Nearly 20% of the U.S. federal budget was used to make extortion tribute payments to the Muslim pirates. Yet they still continued their privacy. Excuse me, piracy. When Jefferson became president, he finally sent in the U.S. Navy and Marines to stop Morocco's Barbary pirates. In his first annual message, December the 8th, 1801, Thomas's, Thomas Jefferson stated, Tripoli, of the Barbary states, has come forward with demands unfounded either in right or in compact, and had permitted itself to announce war on our failure to comply before a given day. The style of the demand admitted but one answer. I sent a small squadron of frigates into the Mediterranean with assurances to that power of our sincere desire to remain in peace, but with orders to protect our commerce against the threatened attack. On December 29, 1803, the new 36-gun USS Philadelphia ran aground on Morocco's shallow coast. Muslim pirates surrounded and captured it, imprisoning Captain William Bainbridge and his 307-man crew for 18 months. To prevent the ship from being used by the barbary Muslim pirates, Lieutenant Stephen Decatur, on February 16, 1804, sailed his ship Intrepid into Tripoli's Pirate Harbor. Decatur set fire to the captured U.S. frigate Philadelphia and escaped amidst enemy fierce, fierce enemy fire. British Admiral Horatio Nelson called it the most bold and daring act of the age. The Army and Marines later captured Tripoli and forced the Pasha to make peace on U.S. terms. Frederick Lanier wrote in The End of the Barbary Terror, Commodore Stephen Decatur and diplomat William Shaler withdrew to consult in private. The Algerians were believed to be masters of duplicity, willing to make agreements and break them as they found convenient. The annotated John Quincy Adams of Bibliography, written by Lynn H. Parsons, contains unsigned essays dealing with the Russo-Turkish War and on Greece, published in the American Annual Register for 1827-28-29. From that, I quote, Our gallant Commodore Stephen Decatur had chastised the pirates of Algiers. The day, Omar Bashal, disdained to conceal his intentions. My power, listen, listen, friends, because this is where we are today. Here's what the barbary pirate leader had to say. My power, said he, has been wrested from my hands. Draw ye the treaty at your pleasure, and I will sign it. But beware of the moment when I shall recover my power. For with that moment, your treaty shall be waste paper. The First Barbary War, 1801 to 1805, was America's first war after the Revolution. The Second Barbary War, 1815, gave rise to the Marine Hymn from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli.
These are not simply people fleeing for their freedom. This is a planned, concentrated attempt, once again, by the barbaric pirates, if you will, by the Muslims of this world, to come in and take over and demand that you and I, whether be we whether we be white or black, red or yellow, whether we be bond or free, whether we be Baptist or Catholic or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, whether we be atheist or agnostic, whether we be normal or abnormal, to be placed under their thumb once again. Friends, it's time to pay attention to what's going on. There is such an adverse mentality in our society today that it's no wonder we find ourselves in the place that we're in. We here have been talking about the American evangelist. I've been sharing with you over the last number of months here on this broadcast how the devil and the world in which we live has done its best to deceive those that are in it into believing a lie. The Antichrist is coming, friends. It won't be long. We can see his workings today. We've got a pope, which, by the way, is nothing more than a man in a little white dress. He is not the mouthpiece of God. He is not able to speak ex cathedra. He is not God's representative on the earth. He is a false teacher. Catholicism is a political force, not a religion in any way. But he's pushing for no borders. Hey, just like some of the people in our government. It is borders that God has established, friends. And God established the boundaries of the nations. Read the book of Acts. You'll read about it there. And the major purpose in which God established those boundaries was so that men would seek the Lord. Boundaries are a protection. We live in a day and time when they want to tear them down. The church and the pulpits of America have become so dumbed down and so interested in pleasing and appeasing their own flesh and not getting their feelings hurt and being politically correct and making sure the money still comes in and making sure they have all the perks of this life that they have failed to broadcast and cry aloud, as the book of Ezekiel says, to the world in which they live, of the wickedness that's going on. Therefore, when a man calls himself an evangelist, we immediately think, well, this must be a good thing. Friends, did you know that most American evangelists maintain a list of churches they preach in every year? What's the difference between that and a rock and roll group? They have a regular church preaching itinerary. They book these appearances well in advance, months or sometimes even years. The more well-known evangelists easily sustain these lists of churches. They call it their itinerary list. If he's very well-known and in high demand, a church who desires to have him come preach may have a whale of a time getting him to work them into his schedule. Often they must wait a year or two just to be put on his list of churches. Wow. Hey, what if the church really needs revival? At that very time, what does it do? 
Does it wait until an entire year has passed before it can get its chosen and desired, quote, evangelist, end of quote, to come revive it? Evangelism? No, friends, it's called merchandising. You see, folk, lost people are where you find them. People that need to hear an evangelist preach because they're lacking salvation from hell are all over the place. You see, our, quote, American evangelist could step outside his door, walk 20 feet, and begin preaching to everyone with an earshot. If he did this, he'd be guaranteed to be preaching to the audience of lost people. The reason for his existence as an evangelist. He would not be required to set up appointments months in advance. He would not be required to travel long distances halfway across the land to meet these appointments either. The worry of having enough appointments to meet his financial needs or obligations would never enter his mind. He could throw away his appointment books, earnings, ledgers, letterhead stationery, business card. Hey, even his Bible college diploma. Well, perhaps we're intruding into a fit of fantasy there. Let's get back to reality. That is the way things really are. You see, many American evangelists like to mix and match with their itineraries. It kind of breaks the monotony for them. So they may eventually be in demand enough that they can begin the year with a spate of preaching appointments at churches in the sunny south in the springtime when all the fruit and nut trees are in glorious bloom. Then they may preach at a youth camp or a family camp in the gorgeous and pleasant Rockies for the summer for a few weeks before laying on another group of churches in the beautiful, brilliant woodlands of the Northeast in the fall. They may be able to lay out over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays and spend time with their families or at their home church before they head out once again to round out the year's itinerary. You see, friend, the really in-demand American evangelist often finds that he has his choice of different options. When he first got started, he may have struggled just to get a few churches lined up for four or six months at a time. After a few years on the church circuit and after gaining notoriety and name recognition, he finds he can choose among the largest churches and most fun summer family camps, hitting a lick at a Bible college or two, making a trip or two overseas to preach for some struggling missionary while he and his family take in the local sites, preaching commencement at a Christian day school, taking or guiding a tour each fall or winter to Israel and the Holy Land, being a headline preacher, preacher at one or two of those national preachers' conferences, and on and on it goes. You see, most of the American evangelists find themselves sticking pretty closely to the church-to-church preaching format. My question is, why is this? Well, friend, the primary reason is the relationship between the preaching ability and income. You see, the American evangelist is a professional preacher. As in professional sports, there are mediocre teams and average teams and better-than-average teams and good teams and the best teams. And American evangelists fall into the same categories. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. You stay tuned for the second half of the Covenanter's Call. We're going to talk about those different categories that the supposed evangelists that travel back and forth across the country making merchandise of God's people 
seeing how much they can get, how much they put into it. You stay tuned for the second half of the Covenanters Call. for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at naturelogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
All right, friends, welcome back to the Covenanters Call. Once again, this is Pastor Mike Hoover. Our call-in number here at America Voice Radio this evening, 1-800-932-1980. Let me take a moment and encourage you to be a supporter of this broadcasting network. Um, we are not obligated in any way when we are on the this broadcasting network. The airtime is ours. Uh, not obligated in any way to try and promote the broadcasting network nor ask for your support, but I choose to do so because I believe it's worthwhile. I've been on this network now. Frank's going to have to remind me. I know we have been here now in southern Indiana. It will be 10 years uh, in March. And I know we were on the broadcasting network a number of years before we left northern Arizona. So I've been here for a few, for a few years. I'm probably the oldest guy broadcast oldest guy broadcasted on this network other than maybe Frank himself. But um, if you believe it's worthwhile, and that's probably why you're listening, then I encourage you to be a supporter. I'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337, Orleans, Indiana, 47452. Drop us an email. The Muggy Own at cleanenter.net. That's T H E M O G O L L O N at C L E A N I N T E R dot net. Or give us a phone call. That number here is 812 653 5578. And uh, we would certainly love to hear from you. We're talking about the American evangelist, or what has been called the evangelist, and how it really lines up with the Bible. You know, ultimately, folks, that's, that, that's all that matters. And it doesn't matter what you think or I think, or the government thinks, or the religious people or non-religious people around you think. One of these days we'll stand before God. You say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, you will one day. The Bible says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So God has given us a testimony of, his, uh, of himself in creation. The complexity of the creation indicates a creator. And on and on and on we could go. It's, it's not my responsibility to convince you. It's simply my job to give you the truth. And that, that's the truth of the matter. And and if there is a God, as the Bible says there is, and the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, then we'll all stand before him one day. Then we'll all be believers if we were before we passed from this life, so much the better for us. But if we were not believers when we passed from this life, then we pass into the judgment of God, and we will be judged based upon how we've dealt with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've either accepted him or we've rejected him. That's your option. You have that option, but you don't have any option when it comes to the time of judgment. You see, that's God's arena. God is the judge. He is the righteous one. And so we simply preach the truth, and therefore we should compare what is being told to us with what the Bible says. All right, now we talked about the American evangelists, the fact that they fall into the same categories as sports teams, the best ones. And that, that's the ones that can really preach, the ones that really make an impact on the audience that can 
deliver their sermons with power and passion and pulpiteering on a consistent basis, they're the ones that gain a good reputation. And let's face it, because of that fact, they have a better income. Therefore, these ones become the evangelists that are in demand. And you must believe that the churches where these men ply their trade look upon them in exactly that same way. The Christians who hear these men preach judge them by their preaching ability. They make decisions about having them back for another preaching visit based on how they preached the first time around. The Christians in churches talk among themselves after Brother So-and-so is gone discussing his preaching ability and how impressed or not impressed they were. Now, is that a wrong thing? Well, folks, it depends on your point of view regarding brother so-and-so and what he's doing. Most of the church folk to whom he preaches understand at least in a subconscious way, subconscious way, excuse me, that he's really not doing much evangelistic work, that is, preaching to lost people, in order that they might hear the gospel and be saved from an eternity in a real burning hell. The church people don't mind this, though, because either they've bought the lie that the American evangelist is who he says he is and demonstrates himself to be and who they desire him to be, a professional preacher, or their passive denial sets in. It's the old two-by-four concept we've talked about before. So no, it's not, it's not a wrong thing, except that the church folk help to perpetuate the fraud the pretense regarding who the American evangelist really is and who he's not. You see, if the churches enjoy having professional preachers come by and preach to them, pumping them up spiritually, then that's their business. Surely God would not condemn such an activity. Neither do we. You see, friends, it's the pretense, the fraud that becomes the sin. But the American evangelist who perpetrates it and the church folks who overlook it make it all right for themselves to continue in it, enjoying it, and allowing it. The issue is not that men go from church to church preaching. The issue is not even that they make their living from that practice. The issue is that they pretend to be someone that they are not. Furthermore, they pretend to be doing a thing, evangelizing, which they do not. So, in terms of making a living, we see the great majority of American evangelists remaining in the vast middle ground area of preaching ability. They stay there, making an adequate, maybe even a comfortable living for themselves from year to year. They stay there running the same church circuit every year picking up a few and dropping a few here and there. And it's okay with the Christians in the churches where they preach, because no one thinks much or deeply about who the American evangelist is and who he really is and who he says he is. They buy the two-by-four, and they go home happy. Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard an evangelist make reference to his sugar stick or candy stick sermons. These are the sermons he's delivered in the past, which really 
impact the audience of Christians in the churches he visits. They're his favorites because they do impact the audience and because he knows them best, can deliver them in his sleep, and can spout out the Bible verses without even cracking open his, cracking open his Bible. His sugar stick sermons are his stock and trade sermons. They're the ones that get him invited back to churches that increase the size of his church itinerary and help ensure his continued income. I see that statement there in the chat room. Frank, you're exactly right. Sounds a whole lot like a lot of Patriot Radio Networks, doesn't it? Now be assured, friends, most American evangelists have a set of sermons which are the core of the sermons they preach over and over. I mean, let's face it, there are very few American evangelists that preach new sermons every time they go out preaching. Yes, they may do a variation on the theme from church to church, but completely new sets of sermons are a very rare thing. One might say, so what? Didn't the Apostle Paul preach the same things over and over? How true? Stay with me here. Paul, no doubt, preached the same sermons over and over with little variation in content. But here's the point. Paul preached his sermons to lost people, to different audiences, to people who had never heard the gospel and not to existing churches full of people that claim to be Christians. The Apostle Paul did not have an itinerary of lost folks that he preached to. Why? Well, there's no such thing. Lost people are where you find them, and you find them all over the place. But very rarely in churches where most American evangelists spend most of their time and energy. Now, let's go back for a moment to the, law, to the law of supply and demand. There are fewer and fewer numbers of American evangelists running the circuit these days. It is because the demand is waning. The primary cause of this decrease in demand is a thing the Bible calls the falling away. We, when I say we, I'm speaking of true Bible-believing Christians, are in the middle of this falling away. As churches turn away from God, from his word, from the pursuit of God, the demand for evangelists decreases. So sad for the evangelists who place their faith and set their minds upon the pretense that we've already spoken of. The pretense is that they are evangelists, but the fact is they are professional preachers preaching in the churches of the land and are merely posing as evangelists. Now, friends, as the churches fall by the wayside, the need or demand or desire for evangelists to come to a revival meeting waxes weaker and weaker. As churches become more worldly and filled with worldly attitudes, then the things they require, run after, and are willing to pay for will be more worldly things. They'll go more and more for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 1 John chapter 2. They'll begin to eschew or despise professional revival preachers and to go to Christian rock bands, 
complete with strobe lights and ear-splitting noise and smoke and sensuality galore and other various venues of entertainment such as Christian comedians or the Zig Ziglar type of pump-me-up-for-Jesus inspirational, emotion-charged, doctrine-free preachers. Or they'll rush after the charismatic flesh pots. Or they'll gravitate toward the grinning, slick-haired, Joel Osteen type of preachers who excuse sin by renaming it, denying it, ignoring it, or replacing it with God loves and needs you no matter what you do kind of preaching. And they'll go for fables over doctrine every time. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Soon, well, probably even now, the most discerning evangelists will discover that they either must change their style of preaching or get out of the business that they wish to continue making a living from preaching to churches from the Bible. You see, friends, soon the American evangelist who earns his keep by going from church to church is going to be forced to compromise if he preaches from the Bible or quit. Listen to me very closely. If American evangelists were really evangelists, they would be out in the hinterlands preaching the gospel to lost people. The number the percentage of lost people in the good old USA today increases. The fields of opportunity for real evangelists is great and getting greater. However, since the American evangelist is not a real biblical, scriptural evangelist, preaching the gospel full-time to lost people, he's losing his income. He's losing his profession. He's losing his reason for being. Listen to me carefully. He is a parasite making his living off churches. Those churches from whom the evangelist feeds, the ones who like to hear revival preaching from evangelists, are becoming sick. They're growing smaller and smaller. They're less and less able to give large love offerings to sustain the evangelists who attach themselves like a moray eel. While biblical evangelists preach to lost to get them saved, American evangelists preach to save people to get their money. That's called cynicism and fraud. Consider with me this imaginary scenario. What if the rapture occurred tomorrow? Oh, I know, that's that word they say doesn't appear in the Bible, but the catching away principle is taught. What if the rapture occurred tomorrow, carrying away all saved folks from the face of the earth, except for all the men who called themselves American evangelists? Would those men continue to preach in the churches they've been preaching in, which would, after the rapture, be peopled by very few folks? Would they still preach for love offerings? Since they'd no longer be able to make an adequate living from the churches because most of the people in those churches would be gone, would they quit preaching? Would they wake up, come to their spiritual senses, and begin preaching the gospel to lost people, money or no money? 
You see, if this modified rapture I'm speaking of really occurred, the American evangelists would face a major disruption in their current modus operandi. If, on the other hand, they've been doing the work of an evangelist all along, then there'd be no disruption in their routine, routine whatsoever. Let's talk about money for a moment. You see, the great majority of income for American evangelists originates in a thing known as the love offering. The semantical deception is that because the Christians in the church where the man preaches love him and love his preaching to them, they will take up an offering growing out of that love to help sustain him in his endeavor to bring them the gospel. Even the gospel, as we allude to it, is a semantical deception, since the audience are mostly saved. So it's not crucially important that they hear the gospel of salvation and or the evangelist often preaches something other than the gospel of salvation, thereby denying the title under which he preaches and operates. Yes, the love offering. Friends, the love offering is a ploy. It is a deception built upon or used in order to cover over other deception. You see, real biblical evangelists preach to lost people. At the beginning of the preaching, they didn't ask those lost people for money. But they did hope and pray for the Holy Spirit to work among those lost people in such a way that many might be saved. American evangelists, for the most part in their church circuit preaching mode, preach among saved people. So the hope, prayers, and desires of those evangelists are not that the saved people in the churches where they preach will get saved over again. That's a ludicrous and silly concept, right? The evangelists do wish to be paid for their preaching, however. So the idea of a love offering is invented. The concept is that since the saved people to whom the evangelist has preached love his preaching so much, they will be willing even desiring to give him money for preaching to them. The first exception is this. Although the evangelist is not doing what the Bible commands a true evangelist to do, he is performing a vital service to God's people by preaching to them in their churches, by bringing revival to them, by charging up their drained spiritual batteries. The second deception designed to aid and abet the first, is this. Since the evangelist is doing such a wonderful thing by building up the churches he preaches in, it is the church people's blessing to give him money for doing this wonderful thing. Hence the love offering. The subterfuge is quite subtle. So subtle that churches adopt it and cling to it as if it were scriptural, blessed, and ordained by God, and at the foundation of what the church of Jesus Christ is to be on the earth. I have one word for that. Balderdash. Now understand, please, all this arises because the American evangelist who participates in this sort of charade is failing to be a real biblical, scriptural evangelist. It's because he's perverted the meaning, the mode, the method, the message of the Bible evangelist to suit his own desires and 
those are the church folks who like to hear him preach to, sing to, or entertain them. The love offering is only another aspect of an already twisted, rebellious, and perverted concept regarding bringing the good news of the gospel to the lost people of the world. Let's pursue a few other aspects of this love offering idea. Understanding that it is only rebellion, compounding rebellion. Who decides which American evangelist preaches at any particular church? Is it the pastor? Yes, it is in many cases. Well, how does the pastor decide which evangelist to invite? Well, friends, this is certainly a valid question, since the presumed notion for getting an evangelist in the first place is with the hope of bringing some sort of spiritual revival to the church folk. Perhaps the pastor knows personally a man whom he wishes to invite. Perhaps he's heard from other pastors of Brother So-and-So and his great pulpit ability. And that sways him to invite Brother So-and-So. Perhaps Brother So-and-So sends the pastor a letter on his evangelistic ministry-led letterhead asking for the privilege to come preach at his church. Or he calls him on the phone and he asks him for the opportunity to preach. This is a very common method that's used by evangelists to get business today. In the letter of request or during the phone conversation, you may be assured that the evangelist will inform the pastor of which churches he's preached at in the past. Now, why would he do that? He'd do that to build his case, to establish his credibility, to ensure that the pastor might have confidence in his preaching ability and his ability to charge up his people, that is, to do the job he's hired to do. The pastor knows a few of the pastors at churches where the evangelist has preached before. He may call one or two of them to get an idea from these other pastors what they think of Brother So-and-So and his preaching ability, his doctrinal stance, his style, presence of his commands, if he plays golf, and so on. What do you think? Does any of this process have anything whatsoever to do with real, biblical, scriptural evangelizing? That is, taking the gospel to lost people to see them saved from an eternity in hell? No. Not hardly. The American evangelist. Is he what the Bible says he's supposed to be, or is he, once again, just fraud? That's what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks here on the Covenanter's Call. We need to know what the Bible says. It's about time we stop giving in to the charlatans. It's about time that we simply follow the Bible. So that when people question us of the hope that lies within us, we've got the right answer. It's about time we stopped championing individuals that supposedly fill a place in the church that doesn't exist, that supposedly do a job that God never created. It's about time we simply followed the Word of God. This is the Covenanter's 
call. I'd love to hear from you this week. You please write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. Drop me an email, themuggyon, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N, at C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R dot net. Themuggyon at Clean Internet, or give me a call at number 812-653-5578. Remember the meeting coming up this week. If you're in southern Indiana or any place nearby, we'd love to have you come visit with us. You can contact me through that information. Go to our church website, www.historicbaptists.net, and get more info. We'd love to meet you folk. Remember the meeting taking place just a couple of weeks now up in Union City, Indiana, Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church. We'll look forward to seeing you there. I appreciate you tuning in the broadcast. Uh, Lots of other good information coming on, more tremendous programming, some of the most renowned Show hosts on American Voice Radio are coming on after this broadcast. There's no way you should, shouldn't stay tuned. I encourage you to listen in. Be a supporter of American Voice Radio. Well, we made it through this broadcast. Had to cough and hack a few times and drink a bunch of water and suck on a cough drop, but we made it. So I appreciate your prayers. I hear the music. Until we meet you again on the airwaves, may God bless you. It's our prayer. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. And this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, 10th day of May, year of our Lord, 2016. I'm going to start out with my usual disclaimer. I'm a man made in God's image, as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as per the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. I'm one of the people of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, and I'm acting at arm's length. (laughs) And I have a four-leaf clover and a rabbit's foot. Do you have a four-leaf clover, Frank? I do not. You don't? Nope. Would you like to buy one? No, I would not. But I do have a disclaimer, you know. You have a disclaimer? Well, it's All a right. signature thing. I told this, is Frank's, this is Frank Stephanie's co-host on this program. Yes, I am, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> am I supposed to say more? Oh, you want me to read my disclaimer? Is that it? Well, I don't know. You brought it up. I don't you know. Oh, no, I didn't. You asked me, remember? No, I asked you a few. Well, this you memory a thing is over. getting, this memory thing's getting worse with you. Uh, uh, <laughs> I asked you if you had a four-leaf clover. You said no. Oh, but I had a that's disclaimer. Right. That's right. Okay. Oh, now. Maybe it's me. Memory. See what happens when you start pointing Got one finger pointing at me and four pointing at you. Well, yeah, it's me. Obviously, mm. I'm I'm the one having the memory lapse. My but, point exactly. I figured. Yeah, it goes like this. It's similar to yours. This email is being sent by a man who's made in God's image, as described in Genesis one twenty six to thirty one of the Holy Bible, King James Version. This email is being sent from the venue, the state of Oregon, one of the several sovereign states of the perpetual. 
Union styled the United States of America. In the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union between the states, this email is being sent by one of the people, as identified in the preamble of the Constitution of the State of Oregon and the United States of America. Any and all presumptions are hereby challenged and rebutted, and neither myself or anything of mine is ever offered as surety. All fiduciaries, uh, officers of profit or trust, of the trust are hereby directed at all times under any circumstances to execute the trust in my, the beneficiaries, the people's favor, and for my benefit. You know, it sounds like you've been listening to this program. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I didn't think you were paying attention, but it turns out, yeah, you have been. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's a skill. I, I, I perfected that in high school. <laughs> that whole not looking like I was paying attention when I mm-hmm. really wasn't. I mean, was, but, you know, somehow it's an osmosis thing I got going on. I uh, see. I got an article here that kind of, uh, it's number seven on the list that I sent over to you. Okay. It's, is online free speech under attack? This <laughs> is in the Washington Examiner. Is that a rhetorical and, question or what? I guess so. It says regulators in Washington are showing increasing interest in tightening rules on political speech on the web, arguing that dissonant voices enabled by new media have become too influential. If that effort is successful, experts wonder whether it could impact more traditional media as well, especially in how it relates to conservatives. I think some. Somebody... So they are concerned that the new media of the sort that you are uh, responsible for, with your radio stations and so on, uh, they're saying maybe they're becoming too influential. Somebody's got to tighten up on you. Yeah. Not me, of course, but. Yeah, me. Just yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm around. Is it Frank? He's the one. You know, I'd like to know who exactly said that because, you know what? They, people like that are like, well, wait a minute. Too influential, what does that mean? Does that mean, like, you have your, you're admitting that you have these, uh, you know, news agencies that, what, are they nothing but propaganda? Is that what, you know, that's what I'm getting from, you know, saying, well, you people on the Internet are becoming too, uh, you know, too influential. What does that mean? Well, it means they want you to buy whatever malarkey the government puts out over the mainstream media. You know, I don't want you talking about anything that might be true on the Internet. You know, I hadn't I hadn't even uh, I have it now, but I hadn't looked through the, the list. And it's funny because I have this this other article unrelated from the New York Post that says White House admits it played us. For fools to yep. sell Iran deal. Yeah. And it, it goes along the other side of what you're saying. That, oh, oh, these uh, Internet, you know, people are too influential. They're, you know, we got to do something about, you know, these people. And meanwhile, in the post here, they're, they're admitting that, oh, we, uh, we make up the news. We'll tell you whatever. And uh, we do it just to sell what we want. You know, we so we can do what we want to do. I was listening to 
Uh, I can't remember his name. He's a white-haired guy with a white mustache. You'd recognize his face if you saw him. Mm-hmm. He has served in the government. I think he was at one point. Our Bolton? Ambassador. Who? Bolton? I don't know. John Bolton? That sounds right. That sounds right. He was ambassador to the U.N., if I that's understand. Him. Yeah. yeah, that's him. He was talking about this situation where White House had made these admissions. And the, in the course of an interview, someone asked him one question or another. And he said, what you've got to understand is that the average age of the people who serve as news reporters dealing with foreign incidents, right now foreign affairs, in Washington is about 27 years old. And he says they don't have the depth of experience to know what's going on. And therefore, they are easily bamboozled. And the other, the woman who was, was interviewing him, she pointed, she said, listen, we don't send, there was a time when news agencies used to send foreign correspondents over to Paris and France and Iraq and Iran and whatever. And she says, now we don't send anybody. We just sit around and wait for the handouts from the government and go from there. Yep. Right? And the point is that the mainstream news media increasingly is not a news media. They're just a, a, a facsimile, a rubber stamp for whatever the government has to say. Or at least they can be in a lot of instances. More so, perhaps, than they have been in the, in the past. But... You know, if you want to get some news and you want to understand what's going on, I know that this is not a popular opinion among the millennials, probably. But you really have to listen to somebody who's been around for a while. They have a little broader perspective and they can look at things and see more than whatever's being presented superficially. Say, wait, I see the implications. I see underneath. 27 is not old enough to understand what's going on. Got to get some old timers in there, Frank. Mm, that yeah, yeah, but not like uh, you know. That's the whole thing, though. It, it, you can't just. Uh, I mean, I think people should be older than twenty-seven because I can still remember kind of twenty-seven, <laughs> and uh, I thought I knew a whole lot more than I actually did. I, I can tell you that looking back. And now you think you know a whole lot more than you did back then. I, I, and I, another 10 years, you're going to look back right. and say, that's smart either. You that's know? right. That's true. And, I thought and, I was smart in my 50s. You know, but we keep thinking we're smart, then you live a few more years. So no, maybe not. You know. Well, that's that. That's it. But I'm smarter than a 27-year-old. I, I, I'm pretty sure of that. And, uh, you know, to think that they're the ones, you know, bringing the, you know, the goods to the American people about what's really going on is, is not encouraging at all. And, you know, they, they also say in here exactly what you just said. They say it a different way and they, they're calling these, these core, these correspondents, which sit in the white house and wait to be spoon fed, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. tools. And they yep. say they are ignorant. will believe what they're told will essentially take dictation and are happy to be used just to get the information necessary for a tweet or two. That's it. I, that's their that's their goal. I think you and I can agree that senior citizens like myself and uh you're approaching that status. I hey, I have discounts. We're smarter than these twenty seven year old kids, but we still have to wonder, are they having more fun than we are? Yeah, probably. 
Yeah, they probably are. <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> yeah, we're smarter than you. I don't know, but you're having more fun. Yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta give them that probably, unless they're really a pretty lame twenty-seven-year-old. Because I know I was having more fun when I was twenty-seven. <laughs> well, at least you thought you were. I don't know if I was having more fun or I wasn't, but I sure thought I was. Well, from what I remember, I was, and I, okay. that's not all that much. But hey. I still have all my fingers and stuff, so it couldn't have been that bad. All nine of them? Yeah. A couple are a little shorter than they mm-hmm. seem like they ought to be, but hey, they're there. All right. And those that aren't there are in a little jar next to the bed, so <laughs> it's not like we have lost them. We know where they are. They just may not be attached anymore. That's right. I've got another article here from, which one is it? Uh, this is number five on that list that I on that list I posted, I gave you. And it deals with, uh, this is from The Guardian, which is interesting. Because The The Guardian is an English publication. And the headline here is, The Rise of Militias. Patriot candidates are now getting elected in Oregon. Um, Like Trump, the patriot movement surge is due partly to fear and the perceived indifference of political leaders to places that didn't recover from the 2008 crash. We talk about a man named Joseph Rice. Describe him. He's running for public office. He's concerned about land and so on. Um, he comes across as a patriot. Uh, at times, I think the article refers, they at least raise the issue of sovereign citizens. Um and he's running, he's, he's uh, uh, let's see what it says, the doctrine of county supremacy embodies two, embodies two key beliefs, that the county sheriff is the highest law enforcement authority, and that the United States government has no right to take public lands, which should, be the prop, which should properly be under local control. It derives from a peculiar reading of common law and the U.S. Constitution, and has underpinned Western insurrections from Posse Comitatus to the Bundy Branch, or Bundy Bunch. Um, it's this notion that once again, uh, it's this notion that is once again becoming central to local politics in the Pacific Northwest. Throughout the region, people whose ideas about land management broadly align with Rice, and now the infamous Bundy clan are aiming for elected office in cities, counties, and even state houses. So what do you think about that? Is well, the Guardian on target here, or uh, is this a significant movement in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest? Sure. So it is. It is, and it has been for a long time. It's like, you know, those pesky Internet news people like, uh, you know, AVR and stuff. You know, I mean, yeah. You know, it's like those guys, I'm an overnight sensation, and it only took me 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. This has been going on up here for a long time. It's just now, and uh, like it or not, Donald Trump is a catalyst. Yeah. If for no other reason, he didn't get it started, he didn't get it going, but he made it more you mean I'm Possible. not going to be a weirdo? You mean I'm not going to be hunted down? You mean everybody outside's not going to point and laugh at me when they see me because I'm mm-hmm. uh, I believe in the Constitution, that I believe in America? You know, oh gee, wow. 
You know, but this has been an underlying movement for a long time here in Oregon. I mean, it really got started, uh, well, it got started before World War II when, you know, Southern Oregon and Northern California were really, if it wasn't for the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor, we would have another state called Jefferson. And because, you know, the both houses of Oregon and California approved them splitting off. But it never did get to the U.S. Congress because Pearl Harbor happened. You know, I mean, okay. it was going to happen. The state of Jefferson was something that people wanted out here. And, you know, and then in the, uh, I guess, the uh, late 80s, the federal government started shutting the uh, federal forest to logging. And coming up with all kinds of crazy things, uh, you know, uh, reasons Spotted why. Spotted owls. Yeah, yeah, that was the main. Snail darters. Oh, they used the they used the uh, spotted owl. They used oh, uh, you know your the the soil will erode and this and that and the other thing. You know, they they came up with everything and they started costing people their jobs here. And that's when people started saying, "Look, wait a minute, don't don't the states have any rights here?" Mm-hmm. And that's when you know I mean I was co-chair of a group called the Tenth Amendment group. You know I mean that's states' rights and. It was a big deal, and that whole county supremacy thing, I'm, I'm well aware of that because that was something that, you know, people were promoting around here, too. So I got involved, and I, I did as well as I could, you know, the law library, the whole nine yards. This was before the Internet was available to me anyway. And uh, I disagree with the whole county supremacy idea because the county it turns out is a subsection of the state yeah and now the county sheriff may be the highest law enforcement officer in a county yeah but that doesn't make the county superior to the state yeah it's it's a subsection of the state you know i agree so they kind of work together there uh, because the sheriff is an elected official, he is law enforcement, he can form a posse, which is supposed to be of the people, not, you know, you know, permanent deputies. It's like permanent politicians. You know, uh, that was never the intention to have, oh, well, gee, I got permanent deputies, you know. Uh, it was like, no, you, you know what, you deputize people as necessary. And I guess now with a population bigger... It may be necessary for a sheriff to have permanent deputies. I, I get it. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying that he also has the power just to go out. And now, you know, and this and this speaks to the people out there that say, well, you know, the Second Amendment only applies to the militia. It only applies to this. It only applies to that. It doesn't apply to the average people out there. It doesn't. Well, yes, it must, because if the sheriff can call a posse, they have to be armed. Yeah. And to be armed, they have to have the right to be armed. Yeah. So, you know, their whole argument just kind of falls apart when you really look at the the entirety of the, you know, the uh, and the state constitutions how they're written. So, yeah, it is a real movement and it has been for a long time and you know, Donald Trump has basically energized it. Because now people are feeling a little more, hey, you know what? If that guy with bad hair can get up That's there exactly and start right. saying this stuff, so can I. Yeah. You know, and so, but these are people that were 
you know, whispering it in the background, uh, you know, mm-hmm. before Trump, and they were thinking it before Trump, but they just, uh, I better not say anything, you know, because, uh, you know, but... Oh, somebody will laugh at you. Yeah. People are afraid to say, and, and, you know, we used to have meetings for Citizens for Legal Reform in Dallas, which I which I've led for, I don't know, however many years we did that. It was most of a decade. <clears throat> Built it up to where it was the biggest legal reform meeting in the country. We're averaging 325 per meeting, meeting twice a month. And Gary Graham was hosting meetings on the, on the, we hosted meetings two Tuesdays a month, and he hosted meetings on the alternate two Tuesdays a month. And we had the biggest meetings going in the country. We had meetings as big as 800 people. See, that's huge, man. Our, our little 10th Amendment meetings, I think the most we ever had, and this was only a couple times, 150 people. And that was because of specific, you know, hot button issues that you know people wanted to come to but most of the time we ran about 40 50 people every week that was it you know so that's part of the reason that those meetings worked is because i knew when to clap my hands (laughs) i'd I'd stand up at the beginning of the meeting and introduce whoever our speaker was going to be we would have sometimes we might have two speakers even three uh, during the course of the meeting but one is usual and two is not unusual and three maybe once in a while but I'd introduce the speaker, and then I'd go back, and I'd sit down. <laughs> and the speaker, he'd go through his little speech, and he'd hit a hot line. All right? And I would understand, yep, this is a hot line, and I would begin to clap my hands. And I would continue to clap my hands until the rest of the people in the audience, they said, all right, we'll clap our hands too. But they were afraid. They were afraid to stand up. They were afraid to clap on their own. They were afraid that they would be ridiculed or whatever. And when you actually, you start clapping your hands like that, and then somebody else follows, and then somebody else, and before you know it, you got the whole audience going, there is a sense of communion at that meeting. And you step out of the isolation that you feel when you're just sitting there and that you're in the audience, but still, you're sitting there in that chair all by yourself. And you thought, oh, my gosh, I don't want to stand up here. Everybody's going to laugh at me. I don't want to do anything to attract attention. And then somebody starts clapping their hands. Next thing you know, you're clapping your hands. And the whole room, it generated energy. It generated, it, it removed people from that sense of isolation. And all by itself, it was a powerful factor in making those meetings grow as big as they did. Boy, I wish I'd known that. Clap your hands. <laughs> wish I'd have known that. Jeez. Well, it was one thing I figured out. I mean, I it, it was something that I figured out during the course of the meetings, and and you begin to appreciate you've got to generate energy at those meetings. No, it's you've absolutely got to get true. The audience involved. You know, a lot you've of people out there are probably thinking, "Oh, come on, that doesn't make any difference." But yeah, mm-hmm. it really does make a lot of difference. It does. I have a similar. It's not in a meeting or anything. It was actually in a in a in a freshman college English class. And I was taking this, and, um, you know, I'm in this class with a bunch of kids, right? Yep. Because this was like 10 years after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there, and uh, the teacher's going through, you know, everything, and, and and then it's like, well, she goes through her whole thing, and I'm, you know, I'm not really paying that much attention because I'd already kind of figured out that, geez, you know, uh, this, I thought 
college would be more. You know, this seems like kind of like my junior year in high school again. I, I think I recall, rem- you know, learning all this already once, you know. So I was kind of just looking around and, man, talk about deer in the headlight looks, right? I mean, the whole class was like, looked like that. And so she goes, uh, any questions? <laughs> Nobody. Much to her surprise. Nobody. Nobody had any questions. So I started asking questions, and I already, you know, I already knew. I didn't have any questions because I, I was well, listening. probably as old as the teacher at that point. <laughs> I, was, I was close. And and the thing is, though, so I'm asking these questions, and she's answering. And, uh, and I'm looking around still, and I see all the pencils. You know, they're furiously writing, right? These are kids that had no questions, right? Now that she's answering my questions, they're they're writing furiously. So I kept doing it, and afterwards, uh, this was turned out to be a really good thing for me because, uh, and I was just doing it because I was bored, and it was like that that pregnant pause where okay, any questions? So what? We're gonna sit here for the next twenty minutes and just stare at each other? So I figured I'd ask questions, but then afterwards, the teacher asked me, uh, you know, could you? hang on a minute. I thought, oh, here we go again. This really is just like high school. I'm already in trouble, right? I figured you know, did something wrong here. I shouldn't have did this. So I'd stay, and she goes, hey, uh, I appreciate what you did. And I was, what do you mean? Asking those questions. I said, oh, oh well, you know, you asked if there were any questions. And she goes, mm-hmm. yeah, but when I answered them, you didn't write one thing down. I said, oh, well, I got a good memory. And she goes, you already knew the answers, didn't you? And I said, well, you know, like, yeah, kind of. She goes, well, would you like to be teacher's assistant? And I said, well, is it a paid position? <laughs> no. But I can... It's an honorary... Yeah, but... It's an honorary position. But she said, I guarantee you, you'll get an A. I said, okay. So I did that, and basically through that whole English class, I really didn't have to do any of my work. Yep. I just had to help the other students do their work. Mm-hmm. And I got an A. And, yep. you know, so it worked out. But the the point is, the moral of the story is, those kids all had questions, and they were all afraid to I lift know. up their hand and go, yeah, I didn't yep. understand a word you just said. You know... When we were having those Citizens for Legal Reform meetings, there were probably three insights altogether. There might have been more, but there are three that come to mind altogether. And it made it grow as much as it did. And one of them was knowing when to clap my hands and getting the audience involved. I'd sit back there and I'd clap my hands until those people would go, all right, we're gonna, all right, we'll clap our hands. Damn it. That guy won't stop unless we clap our hands, too. I mean, we forced them into clapping their hands and getting involved whether they wanted to or not. But the other thing is, before the meeting started, it was scheduled to start, if I remember correctly, at 7 o'clock in the, in the evening. But for at least a half hour prior to the meeting, the beginning of the meeting, we had two microphones set up, uh, one on each side of one at each end of the stage. And people would get in a row... Uh, a line, and they would come up to those microphones, and they would speak for a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes, about whatever it was that was bugging them. And it might be something about politics. It might be something about the legal system. It would be whatever 
we gave them an opportunity to speak in public. And it was a gripe session for them. And I can remember talking or listening to another guy talk who was holding meetings in Houston or someplace, and he insisted they don't have a gripe session. Okay, no gripe sessions. We don't have time to everybody complaining about this, that, or the other. We have to get down into the technology of how we're going to defeat the government and, and in the courts and what we're going to do, and no gripe sessions. But I understood that those gripe sessions were critical. These people wanted to vent, and they were overcoming by setting up those two microphones, one on either end of the, uh, the, uh, of the, the, uh, the stage. Um, it gave them an opportunity to speak in public. And it, most of these people had been through a divorce. It was probably the most single most common problem that they'd had. A lot of them had traffic tickets. A lot of them had problems with the IRS. Those were the three fundamental problems. And they'd been railroaded in court. And they have told all of their family and friends and everything else. They've told the story time and time and time and time and time. And they've, adver- they've alienated everyone around them. Everyone they know in the real part of their life is, is just put off. They can't listen to the story anymore. The gripe about the injustice and the rest. They don't want to hear it. You come to our meetings, there were people there who wanted to hear. They understood. They would even applaud their hands when you got done t- griping about whatever it was that the legal system gave gave to you. And all by itself, it was powerful and important to the people at the meetings because it gave them a sense that they were not alone. They could speak, and people didn't roll their eyes and laugh at them. People applauded them. And it was a powerful step toward healing, which brings me to the third the third uh, insight that I understood pretty right, pretty quickly when we were hosting those meetings. They were called Citizens for Legal Reform. When we talked about legal, re- legal reform issues, that was the fundamental topic. But the reality was we were running a group therapy session. These people were, had gone to court, and they'd gone to court, again, traffic ticket, IRS, divorce, something believing that justice was going to be done. And they were railroaded and brutalized and just completely mistreated. And they came out of those, and they came out of those courtrooms in shell shock. They were so badly debilitated that in many cases they couldn't even groan or whimper or complain. They blamed themselves because everything they knew about the, uh, about the judicial system and the legal system, they'd learned on Perry Mason, which is you go in, and justice is done, and then you walk out a winner. And they walk in, they they walked in, they find out, no, it's nothing like that. It's more like a meat grinder. And they came out of there, and they were badly debilitated, and our meetings turned into group therapy sessions. Yeah, we talked about the law, and we talked about lawyers and judges and politicians and whatever. But really, it was a group therapy session for people who had been very nearly destroyed by the courts. So those were the three. Those were the three things I can remember. It's been, you know, it's 15, 20 years since I hosted those meetings. But uh, as I can recall, knowing when to clap your hands and getting the audience involved, uh, conducting the gripe session, you've got to make it available to them. It's what they want. They want to speak. They want to get it off their chest, and they want people to understand them. And last thing recognized is it really was a group therapy session. Well, and I think, you know, that part about not wanting to be alone, not wanting to stand mm-hmm. out is, is kind of, 
what Trump is doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he really is. I mean, good or bad or whatever. I mean, he is a showman. I'll yeah. give him that. Yeah, he's that. Yeah, you got to give him that. You know, I mean, he, he, you know, they can say what he want, want about him being a, a, you know, politician, but he rightfully, he earned those ratings for yeah. that show he did on TV. It was popular yeah. because people like his show. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that he he's now using that talent, I think, to invigorate a segment of Americans that really needed it. Yeah, they were waiting for somebody to stand up and do the right thing. Or at least say they, the right thing. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can re- hasn't done anything yet. I can remember when we started that Citizens for Legal Reform group up. There was a moment where we were a small operation. We were only getting 25 people or 50 at the most show up at our meetings. And there were a handful of people besides myself that were there from the beginning pretty much. And they had decided, a couple of them had decided (laughs) that I was leading the group in the wrong direction. And we had kind of an opportunity for a debate in public at one of the meetings, and they had, and there were several of them essentially saying that I was an idiot. And I was trying to explain, no, I'm not, and maybe not with much success. And finally, there was a moment when Lewis Daniels, and I mean, I remember this, Lewis Daniels was a good old boy. He was a real Texan, all right? He'd worked in agriculture, had a dairy farm at one point until he lost it to the IRS. And he was a, Lewis was a real man. He commanded a lot of respect. He wasn't a bully in the rest of that. <laughs> and at the time, he was an old guy, <laughs> like maybe 55 or 60. Oh, not that old. <laughs> yeah, I was. <clears throat> Nowadays, I look back, and that's a youthful situation, practically. But uh, in any case... I'm cornered, I'm outnumbered, and all of a sudden, Lewis stood up and he spoke. And when he did, he stood up in the audience, and uh, that just turned the tide. And whatever was happening there and whatever, you know, it might have been that I'd been run off. Um, Things could have gone that badly, and he turned things around. And it was just one guy standing up, but it's... There's a lesson there that is so profoundly important. It's how important it is that people stand up at the right time. And everybody's afraid to do it. And I guarantee you see audiences and you see meetings and one thing or another where somebody up on the stage is saying completely is saying something completely stupid. And he's a candidate for public office, <laughs> or he will be. And most people just put up with it. But if you're willing to stand up, take that risk to stand up. And you begin to understand after you've done it a few times, you know, this isn't that, this is kind of fun. (laughs) Um, All of a sudden you become a far more dangerous individual than you were in the past. Just because you're ready to speak. Not because you're ready to shoot or throw a knife or a gun or a bottle or a chair. Just stand up and speak in a way that's honest, sincere, and deals with a real issue. Well, that's why I try to encourage people that listen, that wherever they live, you know, whether it's in a city or a county, to 
try to make an effort, and I realize, you know, they go out of their ways to, to have them at inopportune times where people who actually have jobs cannot make it to their stinking meetings. You know, they have them like at 10 o'clock in the morning during the week, you know, or something like that. We had that situation here. But, you know, you can make a big difference. Just one person can make a yeah. big difference. And I yeah. don't mean show up once and then never go again. I mean show up on a regular basis. They get to know you, and they get to – you can see it. They're they're smiling. They're nice. They're liars. They're politicians, and they are not happy to see you. Yeah. And when you do, and, you know, here we only had, we, there was, on a regular basis, there was five people that would go to these commissioners' meetings. Five regulars. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is a county that's got 330,000 people, and five yep. people showed up to these meetings on a regular basis. Now, there were special, you know, you know special uh, issues that, you know, more people would show up. Maybe 30, 40 people would show up. But our 10th Amendment meeting had more people than the commissioner's mm-hmm. meeting did. Mm-hmm. And uh, But when that place had people in there, you could feel the tide turn. When you get up there and you just, and, and you know, you got to, it takes a little practice because they can make you so mad that you just want to get up there and just start cussing them out. But if you can keep it together and just present the facts in a reasonable way, because they really do talk out of their backside most of the time, and you can feel the tide in the room turn Mm -hmm. to where everybody's, you can hear them going, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they realize, you know what? This guy's right. They're full of crap. Yeah. And boy, you can the the commissioner's faces start getting red and they can't say anything. You know, because they're because they know they're now. wrong. Yeah, and they're outnumbered. And that's too. one of the things about this that makes it effective. If you can get up there, you can actually remind these people of what they once stood for and what they knew this country stood for. You know, it's easy to be a bad guy if nobody if nobody calls you out on it. You can be a gangster, you can be a thug, and people just laugh and smirk and wink, and you get away with it, and it doesn't bother you. You think it's okay. But when someone stands up in the audience and essentially says, this is wrong, and at first you might say he's crazy, and you might say he's misguided, and everything, but eventually, if this guy keeps saying it's wrong, Eventually, the people up there are going to say, you know, he's right. We are selling this nation down the river. And what are we doing this for anyway? So you have an effect even on your adversaries. Um, just by standing up and reminding them of a little bit of what they once stood for and what they knew to be true. And now they're you know, compromised and corrupted and whatever. You know, and, and I... I, I... I was actually, you know, I look back and go, boy, was I ever naive. Because I, I thought, well, now that I'm going to be an adult and all, you know, at, <laughs> at, at, at 30. Someday. Yeah, well, at 30. There's still hope. Yeah. Well, at 30, I, I figured, you know, okay. Well, gee, I am I just got married now, and I've, I've got to be an adult. So I'm going to get involved. So I did. And I thought, well, these poor commissioners. They seem like nice people, so they must just not know what's going on, right? 
Well, I, I came to find out that's not the case. But in a way, I look back on it, and in a way, they they know, but they don't realize because they are insulated. Over time, they become the boy in the bubble. They yeah. only deal with their donors. They only deal with the big wheels. They only deal with the money people. They only deal with somebody who wants something all the time. And they only deal with these people. And they don't deal with the 330,000 other people in this county. And they don't associate with them. And they don't realize that they don't realize how wrong they really are and how damaging what they do is to everybody out here because they don't associate with anybody out here. Yep. They don't know they're hurting you. They don't care, but they don't know because they don't know you. They don't know about you. They don't have anything to do with anybody like you. And that's, you know, I hate to say it, but that's your fault. If you're not making yourself known to these people and saying, hey, you know what? What you're doing's hurt me, and you're going to have to stop. Yeah. Then why should they? Well, they'll sit back, at least when you're talking about lawyers and judges, and they fall back on what is allegedly the best legal system in the world. And, and they, will, they can pretty much convince themselves that this is such a great legal system, but the great unwashed just doesn't understand how magnificent this system is, especially at generating money for lawyers and judges. And they think because you're ignorant or whatever, well, you don't get it. You don't understand, but the system continues. Um, they have to be made to be in touch. With well, they it's really like do. Police. It's like police, another one. They yeah. don't relate to the people. No, and, and They have you know, to deal with them, but they live in places where you can't even find out where they live. No. All right? They don't come to meetings like ours except as uh, undercover spies. They have this us-against-them mentality. They certainly do not serve and protect the people of the United States of America. They serve and protect the government. They are knee-breakers for the mob that runs this country. Uh, you know what? On a, you've got to a... be able to reach out to these people somehow, and you've got to be able to get them to come to your meetings, or you've got to go to their meetings, but somebody's got to see that this is not simply us against them. Well, and, and the cops are caught. The cops are caught in the middle. You know, and there's some cops out there that I, I agree that they are, you know, they are deliberately defending the government and the position and the leaders and all that. But I think the majority of cops are not protecting the people. They're protecting their own paycheck. Yeah, I agree. You know, they don't care about the government officials any more than I do. But they do care about they their must, paycheck. In some regards, they may dislike them less. That's true. But they do care about their paycheck. Yeah. Like everybody does. Don't we all? Yeah, like everybody does. You know, I mean, gee. We used to have demonstrations in downtown Dallas across the street from the courthouse. I think we'd get down there once a month. Might have been twice a month. But I think it was once a month. We were there for about a year and a half. We had bullhorns for a while. We had a uh, drummer group. The Spirit Wind or something like that was the name of this drummer group. And they were with us. And, I mean, you could hear these guys three, four blocks away. You'd think it was a circus parade coming to town. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, it was extraordinary noise. And we would be there for the lunch hour. <laughs> and when we were there, the lawyers and judges all went out the back door of the courthouse. We were at the front door of the courthouse across the street from it. We had bullhorns, name and names, the rest of that sort of thing. Well, 
I don't remember what the point of that story was, but it crossed my mind and it seemed relevant at the time. Well, if nothing else, it should encourage people that, look, you can do this too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we used to, you know, you, okay, UN Day, for instance. Every UN Day for like three or four years, every UN Day, we would, we had a group of people. It was our group and other little groups that were, they weren't, you know, working on the same exact thing, but they were basically, you know, one group was completely just all about get out of the UN, right? And, but we all kind of knew each other and it was like, hey, well, I'm against the UN and everybody who's for states' rights is against the United Nations also, you know, so we got all these groups together, probably, I don't know, 200 people maybe, and we'd get a big barbecue Get it, bring it down to the county courthouse where the court is. See, here in Jackson County, the county courthouse is really where the commissioners, that's the county building where the commissioners meet. Then they build a new courthouse where they put people in jail there. Uh, but in front of there, on those steps, we would bring the barbecue, we'd start it up, and everybody would bring. A little UN flag. Well, some people brought big ones, but you know everybody had a little UN flag. You know, one of those little things like on a straw, you know, size stick. And they'd all march up there and throw it on the barbecue. And we had TV cameras, the whole nine yards. I mean, like for three, four years. And that's just not yeah. going on anymore. Yeah. Okay, that's not happening anymore. It was, but you know, I was a young guy in that group of people who organized it. Now, more than most of them are dead or or old enough to say, you know what, I've done this, been there, done that. I'm not, I'm over. I'm not doing that anymore. You know. Well, maybe they're not doing it anymore, but they did it for a while. Yeah, they did. Um, now it's your turn to pick up the torch and go out there and start your barbecue. Well, and you could do that on the radio programs. You know, you could you could have a barbecue. <laughs> right there, right there in the control uh, control room where you're sitting right now. <laughs> I don't think that'd be that great of an idea, but hey. Well, I don't know. It's a sort of, you know, it's, and I remember why why I mentioned the demonstrations we had down in Dallas. Um, we'd say, we'd have cop cars. We'd have it was. I mean, we had first thing we do is kill all the lawyers. Now I don't know you could get away with that today. Uh, that's from Shakespeare, of course. Right, right. But we had trucks coming by, semis, driving through downtown Dallas. They weren't coming just because we were there, but they saw what we were doing. We had signs. We had people posted out there in the rest of it. And they're, whoop, whoop, you know, I mean, letting it go with their air yeah. horns. The rest of it. We had cops going by that were giving us a thumbs up. They wouldn't say anything in public, but they came by and their thumbs up in the in the you know in the in the cop cars when they're driving by where we're demonstrating. They were <laughs> aggravated at the judges, and uh, you know what do you say? There's all kinds of opinions going out there. Well, and uh, the and the point now is is now is a good time if you feel that way to do something about it. I agree. As little as you might think, well, what good is that going to do? I can't do much. Well, no, maybe not, but you can do something, and you should. And now's a really good time. It, I don't think it's going to get any better than this. Ideas, time has come. That's where we are right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now, Trump is actually naming 
the problem as globalism. Mm-hmm. I just read a thing where he he had in his uh, foreign policy speech. This is what they're calling it. You know, yep. the, the speech that he kind of focused on that because everybody was hammering about. Well, you say all these things, but what's your policy going to be? So he gave this speech, and you know, and he specifically said he called it something, uh, but it was derogatory against globalism and he he said the word globalism so you know that is the problem that really is the problem oh i understand and we have the government is ready to sell us right down the river our government is trying to get us into the can into a in an alliance with canada and mexico that turns us into the north american union there's no proviso in the Constitution for them to – Senator or Secretary of State Kerry, he delivered a speech just in the last few days to graduating students, and he told them, get ready for a borderless world. He was making fun of Trump with his idea of putting a wall between Mexico and the United States, and he said, we're going to have a borderless world. Well, that may – I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not giving anybody prophecy – but he has taken an oath somewhere to support and defend the Constitution, and presumably that includes de- supporting and defending the United States of America, and that means maintaining its borders. Yeah, I think him every one that. of these, every one of these SOBs that's involved in the New World Order and advocating this one world government, they are committing treason. Yeah, every I, single one of them. Yep, that's what I was just going to say. I think just by him saying that is an act of treason. I agree. You know, and, and the thing is, being an act of treason, you know, if two people witnessed it... Yep. Uh, I mean, geez, why isn't two people who were there saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, we are charging you with treason? Well, one of the reasons is that, again, the people that are there are completely ignorant about the law. That's true. All right? And it's one of the things that is absolutely... It's not just an accident. We live in the most litigious society in the world, and yet they don't teach kids in high school or even college anything about how to negotiate a contract. What are the important elements of a contract? What are your fundamental rights when you go into a court? We, have, we are kept ignorant and not by accident. This is equivalent to not learning how to handle an axe in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a lumber camp in Oregon. Yeah, or having a, you know, uh, okay, we're going to have an army, and uh, you're recruited, and get in here and shave your head and give your rifle and say, off you go. Yeah. You don't need any training. Mm -hmm. You're good to go, buddy. You know? I mean, it's one of the things that should be taking place in our schools. We're not ignorant about the law just because we're, we're unintelligent. We're ignorant because nobody has taught us anything about what is a fundamental form of literacy. In this country, if you don't speak legalese, you're going to want you're going to tend somebody else's garden. All right. If you want to get ahead in this world, you're going to have to have some understanding of the law. And it's not a casual. It's a, you know, I mean, you got to give them some sort of a start in high school. They should learn about the Constitution. They should learn about the organic law of the United States of America. Well, there are fundamentals that they could learn that they could start when they're freshmen in high school, maybe even before that. Well, that's true. I mean, we learned about the Constitution, at least. But you know what? It looks like we've we've got a caller. I know this is going to oh. be like a habit or something. Right? I know it's every. Do, you, do the program. I think it's. I think they're just doing that to get us to stop talking. That could be. I think somebody's calling in just to get us to stop. But go ahead, caller. 
Oh, it's uh, Frank knows who I am. It's uh, it's Luke. How are you guys? Good. What up, Luke? Oh, not not much. Not not much. I'm saving myself for uh, the show you have on tomorrow, uh, when I'm going to talk about uh, how how much people get litigated in Australia and what they're being litigated for. Uh, free speech is dead in Australia. Radio show hosts in, in Australia can't even cover the, the, um, the, the debate and go against the secular left. You just get prosecuted, persecuted, and then jailed for contempt of court for refusing to lie under oath and do court-ordered apologies to gay activists. That's what's happening to a 75-year-old Christian grandmother right now and my father and numerous and uh, an Australian Army intelligence major, Bernard Gaynor, who fought in the Iraq War. But uh, there is a fight back. He set up a political party called the Australian Liberty Alliance, and they're going to try and take back this country. Well, it can be done. You know, a lot of people think that third parties are a waste of time and you can't do anything with them, but I don't know what the situation is in Australia, but here in the United States, in a presidential election, it's unusual if 50% of the people who are eligible to, eligible to vote actually vote. And in an off-year election, yeah, you can have as, as little as 40% voting in off-year, in, not presidential elections, but the off-year elections. You can have as little. Now, if you had a viable third party in a close election, you don't. the first point is given that not even 50% typically vote. All you need is the active support of 25% of the people in the United States when there's two candidates running, two parties, two candidates. If you've got 25 26%, you can win. You need one man and four to support you, and you can be elected president. You set up a viable third party at a time like this when Trump has tapped into this energy, and everybody knows this is real and it's possible. If If... If it turns out that they have 50% of the people voting in a close election, it would require something like 13%. Uh, maybe a little more than that. Yeah, maybe maybe 16 17%. But you're talking one in six. That's all you need. Maybe even one in seven if the, if the number of voters falls. If you have one man in seven, one in six to support a third-party movement, you can take your whole country back. You don't need 51% because half the people don't bother to vote. Do you understand what I'm saying there, Luke? Did that make any sense or did I? Yeah, I do. And Australia actually invented, we uh, almost invented, it's one of, allegedly one of Australia's great inventions was the preferential voting system. And in Australia, we combined it with uh, compulsory voting. But you can still do dummy votes and some people who also choose to pay the fine. But you mean you have, everyone uh, has to all, vote? Correct. Everyone has to vote by law, unless you've been overseas for a few years. And when you're overseas, I actually tried to vote in 2004. And look, um, they actually did disenfranchise my vote. But it, it, now in hindsight, the people I was voting for, I actually hate more than anything. So I'm not complaining. They... Um, they actually, all the overseas postal votes go through uh, the embassies, and it's kind of like checks in the mail, if you know what I mean. Uh -huh. And I found out that the, um, all the overseas vote, voters generally are voting to vote out a, an, an incumbent, 
And I've got letters from the former Attorney General and the Special Minister for State, Gary Nahn, saying thank you for exposing that uh, 12 hours before the electoral rolls closed, your name was removed from the roll, and every overseas voter has to register via fax to say, I want to vote from overseas. So you're basically putting your hand up saying, you know, disenfranchise me. I caught them doing it. But the, the, the elections have been rigged. The um, New South Wales election... I'm actually accused of an act of cyber-terrorism. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I, 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 this involves using a Firefox web browser, a single keystroke, and a mouse. And I was able to download documents marked not for public release from the New South Wales Election Commission. And I made a YouTube video of how I did it I had to release because I complained to the Privacy Commissioner and said, you know, these people are, are using a, a... You have computer voting. We have computer vote counting. And the New South Wales Election Commission was claimed on their Freedom of Information documents they were using software made in India to count the votes by yeah. LG Brillsoft. But in fact, they were using Egloo systems, which wasn't certified. And the EFA, like the EFF in America, efa.org.au, they, um, they took my, my lead further. And the, and the uh, Australian Federal Police came after them too. If you look at their website, they were, they were raided for actually proving that the votes and the tallies could be rigged through vulnerabilities in their system. Mm. And so the, the video showing how I did this... Now, I'm not a leftist, but I was actually investigating a right-wing politician who was scamming my Korean employer, and I was actually paid to do this ethical hacking, um, which involves a single keystroke. To down, and I found out where the Lord Mayor of Stilet, Crypto Lesbian Lord Mayor of Sydney lives, and I actually have a mailing list I haven't used yet of the home address of every independent political candidate that it, it, it stood at local and state government elections in my state. And that, that could be very, very powerful information when you're trying to build a new third faction party, don't I you agree. think? So this video, this video proving I'm not making up stories or delusions of grandeur is uh, tinyurl.com slash Strathfield. Now, my YouTube channel's days are numbered. I've received a complaint from Google saying my account's been uh, terminated for... for Breaches of terms of service, so this link probably won't work much longer because YouTube and Facebook and Photobucket and Twitter and all of these social networks say you can't do hate speech against published gay marriage activists who have sex with children. You just can't hate the child sex, all the big uh, corporate social media platforms say. And um, I decided this morning, if you've seen, as you've seen on the chat, uh, Frank, to call up Free Talk Live that I haven't spoken to for two years. And I'll admit, I, I, was a, I was a bit of a troll. And in the second hour of Free Talk Live, published on GCN Live, I'm, I'm not plugging these people here, I'm destroying them, on uh, GCNlive.com, which is already online, you'll hear me calling up. And the host, Ian, who was raided by the FBI for child porn, that even Vice is covering... I uh, said that having gay sex with 15-year-olds is not illegal. And in his state, New Hampshire, the age of consent is 16. I don't follow what you're saying right now. 
You said okay, it was illegal at 15. He said on the air. The law says 16. He said on the air it's not a crime for a gay man he to have sex with a 15-year-old boy. He, he said, said it. Yeah, he okay. said it on air. Yeah. Not me. I was complaining about Obama's friend, Terry Bean, being arrested for having sex with a 15-year-old boy. And the Wilmette Week newspaper uh, has the statement from the boy on it. And Obama was on C-SPAN multiple times saying, my dear friend uh, Terry Bean, at uh, numerous HRC speeches since 2008 and uh, 2011 and various ones, he's had a long association with him. And uh, in Australian court, in case law, my friend is being prosecuted for linking to a blog I did in my lunch hour at my old IT job. Well, I used a bit of rude, like, crude language, but I was, I, was, I was being crude because I was criticising one of the, you know, one of these great gay activists, or, or what Basic Rights Oregon calls a queer hero, Terry Bean, who was arrested, who flies on Air Force One, who was arrested for having sex with a child. And also on Air Force One was his 25-year-old boyfriend, Carl Lawson which I didn't know at the time until I read that statement from the Wilmette Week newspaper website. And the court rules, it's offensive to say Obama is friends with gay pedophiles. So the truth has become hate speech. Yeah. And Terry Bean got off his charges because before the trial ended, he tried to pay $250,000 to the, his child rape victim and agree to have uh, testing for STDs. The local TV affiliate in Oregon, KONI, uh, interviewed the neighbours about the stream of young boys going to his house. And, this is, and, C and CNN calls this man Obama's main fund bundler in Oregon. Fund uh, bundler? You know, fundraiser, Democratic okay, Party fundraiser. fundraiser. Okay. Yeah, fun, bundler, I think you call it in American lingo. So, um, you know, this, these are all facts, right? Um, it's mainstream media fact. And if you, if you put this on your... The, the, my friend didn't blog this. He linked to my blog. And the court said, if you link to something, you're responsible for whatever's on the other end of that link. Now, now there was recently a case in the EU court about someone linking to images on, uh, I think it was Playboy's site, and... Uh, some European site was linking to a Facebook site and putting free, free Facebook porn images that are available to members only on the face on the the, the um, Playboy site, right? And the EU court said no. If they're not going to secure their web server, a link is not a crime. But the gay judges in Australia say it is. So this guy, John Christopher Sunhole is now facing jail and contempt of court because the court put an AVO on behalf of all gay pedophiles on this planet. You must stop your activism against gays who plead guilty to sexual abuse with children. We, the court, stand with, stand with all gay pedophiles. And the, one of the judges involved, my, my dad's also being prosecuted for the same thing because my dad linked to some stuff from truthnews.com.au uh, where Harold Fenton was narrating uh, two published gay marriage activists, Mark Newton and Peter Trong, 
who you can look up on the usbop.gov Bureau of Prisons Inmate Finder, where they are until 2038. And they are fa um, because they pled guilty to taking a Russian infant to 30 countries and sharing him on a global gay marriage activist child sex tour, not before going on Australian government radio and saying it's homophobic to oppose us getting kids. Or the latest, I'm not meant to breach this because my dad was wanting to save this, save this for a Perry Mason mo moment in court. Well, this guy, this guy, Peter Trong's lawyer, Angeline Gates, has sent an email that Peter Trong is not a pedophile. He is a homosexual. And the gay activist suing my father is saying you can't associate the actions of what these two pedophiles did to homosexuality. And you can listen to them on ABC at archive.org slash details slash two dads are better than one. First letter of each word after details capitalized. And... Um, yeah, so this is Crisis Magazine reports because of the actions of these two gay published gay marriage activists. Although, let me back that up because I'm not I'm not talking crap here. I made a short link to um, the, the gay couple, whatever you want to call them, uh, the gay dads as they call themselves, uh, Peter, Peter Trong and Mark Newton. Mark Newton wrote a paper saying it's homo the church is homophobic for not doing gay marriages. And how, and how they can't get married and have kids and it's not fair. And he published it in the California State University Long Beach 49ers um, student newspaper. And I made a short link to it at tinyurl.com slash equal marriage equals boy rape. I'm sorry for the crude terms because that's what we're fighting here. And um, you know, if you oppose gay marriage in any way, even though it's not yet legal in Australia you can be prosecuted. There's even Christian grandmothers in Australia who's been, all, all these people are being sued by one gay activist. Uh, Gary Burns' blog, Gary with two R, all one R on Twitter, Burns' How many have counterclaimed against him? Well, we're working, we're working that. He's facing contempt of court charges now. We've got a whole, another 10 of those to follow. He's a, he's a black liar, but he's actually a patsy for um, a taxpayer and charity-funded operation called the Public Interest Law Clearinghouse. And those people were targeting John Sunhol before Gary came in as a patsy because the old litigant died from complications relating to AIDS. And um, one, of the, one, of, one of his high-profile cases is right now in the Supreme Court. He's trying to jail a Christian grandmother, Tess Corbett, who was a political candidate in the seat of Wannan. And she was approached by the Hamilton Spectator, the local newspaper that we now know from Gary Burns' leaked emails as working with the gay activist. So a local newspaper approaches you when you're electioneering, who is working with a gay activist in a setup. They asked her, what do you think about gays in preschools? Now, mind you, in Victoria, in that state in Australia, there is no homosexual vilification thought crimes. But the Anti-Discrimination Board and the court says anything published on the internet could be viewed by someone in New South Wales. Therefore, the gays of Australia police the entire internet. 
And anyone who says something about, negative about gay marriage, should they travel to Australia, can be arrested. Now, or, or, or they prosecuted civilly first and then for contempt of court. Now, people have been thrown in jail in Australia for religious vilification of satanic cults that believe that in gay anal sex black magic with a K can open the gates of hell. I'm talking about Alistair Crowley and the OTO. If, you, if your listeners, to, to see that I'm not deranged and talking crap, if your listeners go to the Australian case law website, uh, austlii.edu.au, and if you type in ABC as one word, plugs, one word, P-E-D-O-S, you'll be taken to the case law of my friend being prosecuted for the crime of linking to my YouTube channel. The video on my YouTube channel at that link, tinyurl.com slash abcplugspedos, is a video made by the ABC, the government, with annotations on top of it, okay, where they lied. And in the description... The gay judge said it's a hate, hate speech to criticise Robert Oscar Lopez, PhD, who runs, um, who runs internationalchildrensrights.com, who gave evidence in the US Supreme Court SCOTUS gay marriage case. So it's not only glad the militant gay activists attacking him, it is also um, a, a, a gay judge in Australia. His name is... Um, he uses a fake name in court too, but he goes by the name of John Wakefield from Holman Webb Law Firm, who's put on his law firm blog that child sex cases should not be dealt with in the criminal courts. They should be dealt with by arbitrage, and all, all people should pay higher insurance premiums for the, for, the, for the hush money in the National Child Sex Australian Child Sex Lottery, I want to call it, because that's how disgusting it is. That's what he actually said on his own blog. And that's why my father's trying to recuse him on his case. Anyway, the other thing to look at honestly is type in leg with an extra G and divine with an E, D-E-V-I-N-E. That's Vivian Leg and Dyson Divine. They were sent to jail for nine months for vilifying the satanic cult that founded Scientology. Have you, held, have you heard L. Ron Hubbard talking about Alistair Crowley before on videos on the Internet? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know I recognize the names, but I've never seen them on video that I'm aware of. I don't. Re I haven't seen anything from Alistair Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard. I don't know. I might have seen who knows some little video ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. I don't. If you want to see the best video on uh, Alistair Crowley, and this is this video is coming from the queers themselves because. Before the gays made this rainbow filter on Facebook that made my wife, for example, unfriend half of her friends, which was, which was good, um, there was, uh, the gays were sharing this uh, video, this promo video on YouTube like crazy that Channel 4 UK made for the Sochi Olympics, you know, with gays dancing around with rainbow and stuff. I think, I think uh, Infowars, I'm not plugging Infowars for obvious reasons, but Paul Joseph Watson is an exception to the rule there. He made a video about it. Now, um, it's called Wickedest Man in the World on YouTube about Alistair Crowley. Yeah. Now, wicked, and from 22, from about, I think it's 15 minutes to 30 minutes in that section on the video, he talks about gay anal sex black magic opening the gates of hell, which is batshit crazy, of course. But if you criticize it, you can be jailed for religious vilification. Then you see the Pope 
since way back on it's CNN. It's interesting that um, this religious vilification. I mean, what's interesting to me about this, you, I'm, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to assume that you understand that in the Bible, God says that He regards homosexuality as an abomination. You understand what I'm talking about? It's worse than that. The King James Bible says that the blood shall be upon them; they shall be put to death. Okay, now, do you know why? It's an abomination. Yeah, why? It destroys the family. It, it, it goes against now, the commandments. Now, let me give you, let me give you another alternative. You can look at Genesis nine six. All right, and this is the Noahide. This is after Noah emerges from the ark, thereabouts. <clears throat> but I can't. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong about Noah emerging from the ark at that point. But in any case, Genesis nine six, and it explains why you can't kill a man. And the answer is because he's made in God's image, as per Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight. You can't murder a man. You can kill cows and pigs and sheep and goats and horses and, and birds and, and fish and all the rest of it. That's fine, but because they're not made in God's image. If we take this and expand it just a little bit, and you sit back and you say, well, <clears throat> if you can't kill a man because he's made in God's image, can you fornicate with a man? And the reason it's wrong, the reason it's an abomination is because a man is made in God's image. And in fact, we're talking about sodomy, not just with men, but with women also. And any of the sodomy is a violation of that fundamental idea that man is made in God's image. You could walk into a Catholic church, and if you saw some guy trying to have sex with a statue of the Messiah, or Mary, or Joseph, or whoever is, uh, whatever they have, the, whoever are the, whichever statues are there, some people say, oh my God, he's crazy. But the truth is, he's only attempting to have sex with some sort of a clay, wood, or, or metal sculpture. But if you try to sodomize a man or a woman, you are sodomizing an image of God. All right? Now, here's my point. You're talking about vilification of the satanic... Of, if you criticize the satanic religion, it's vilification of that religion, if I understand what you were saying correctly. That is what a judge in a Melbourne district court has ruled, okay. and it gets better. It gets better. Well, wait, wait, this female wait a judge... Wait a second. Okay. When, when the homosexuals are sodomizing images of God, that is to say men and women, boys and girls, when they are sodomizing images of God, they are also vilifying the God of the Bible, the Christian faith, and so on. What I'm trying to get to is if this was, a, if you observed this closely, you might be able to go right back at them for vilification. If they're fornicating with an image Please, of God and I'd sodomizing an image that. of God, pardon me? I've researched that. The, this is where it gets really interesting, sir. The, Victor the people who, d who do the uh, prosecution actually broke the law. The closest thing Australia has to the Bill of Rights that you have in America is the Victorian uh, Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities. Only one state has a Bill of Rights legislation which trumps all other legislation, like your Bill of Rights linked to the Constitution. And the people who are meant to educate the the government institutions in Victoria to follow the law are the very same people 
He prosecuted uh, Vivian Legg and Dyson Devine for religious vilification of the OTO satanic uh, gay child rape and boy murder cult. Now, they, this cult has Master of the Hermit Triad XI as their highest public certification because, like Scientology, they found that they have certification levels. And Master uh, of the Hermit Triad XI is uh, certification in gay anal sex black magic. Okay, it's the highest level. Alistair Crowley was a bisexual. The, the, the whole thing is stupid. Now, answering your question, the Victorian uh, Human Rights Group put out, made a submission to the federal government, because we also have anti-free speech laws at the federal level that the government promised to repeal because it was being used by the left to prosecute people as well. For example, uh, Andrew Bolt, who worked for Jewish-owned News Corp, was put up a pitch on his blog of the Israeli barbecue, which involved a whole bunch of Israelis having a barbecue with what celebrating as Gaza burned on the skyline. And that, that, that image was deemed hate speech. So, you know, the, the public pressure grew to shut these laws down. So these people in Victoria made a submission to the federal government saying, hey, scrap 18C, reintroduce the laws that we have in Victoria. They're better. Only a Muslim and the OTO's child sex cult have successfully been able to use our law. And answering your question, drumroll, all seven Christian applicants refused. Only Satanists and Muslims may use this law. How, how great a success it is. Well, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you other than some things like that are going on in this country as well as Australia. The world is becoming mad, and at times Correct. it's hard to look at this. It is the brave new world we are going in, into in 1984. Well, in 1980, what I look at is end times. I mean, there are things happening that are almost inconceivable unless there's other forces afoot besides just well, and, and self-interest. They would have been inconceivable 20 years ago only. I agree. You know, people would have said, oh, yeah, come 20 on, years ago, there wasn't incestual gay dad's child rape from birth because gay men couldn't get kids. The, what, right. the, the California Englewood Unified Schools District and the, the local police there were putting out videos, boys beware. Now you've got gay men buying, buying, buying kids. They're, you've seen the, la the latest Hollywood movie from the uh, well, Wachowski brothers? No, what are they now? The Wachowski trannies. Um, I'm just going to throw in some popular Hollywood stuff for a second and tie it back to the subliminal, subliminal messages that people have been given. They made a new movie called uh, Jupiter Ascending. And the key plot point in that is poor American girl, immigrant, wants money, so sells her eggs for money. Now, the main buyer of those eggs, of American woman's eggs, is Gay Dads on Twitter, who runs BritishSurrogacyCenter.com that has a HIV, on the, on the HIV heterosexual surrogacy page on their website. Um, it also runs premier donors, of course, to collect the eggs. On the heterosexual surrogacy page site, he says, gay men with AIDS can commission babies from their own AIDS seed. Now, if you do some research into this, which like I did, there claims to be an institute which does the sperm washing. But if you actually go down to the supply chain and look at, look at New Life IVF, 
which is in the business of uh, treating Cambodian women like less than $1 an hour breeding whores for gay men who are partnered with gay dads. They say only women in the third world will take the AIDS semen to make the gay baby. And then, and then it gets really, really scary. It gets into soil and green level stuff. And I, this is speculation on my part. It needs to be investigated by someone like the Centre for Medical Progress. But what I do know is that Barry Druitt Barlow, a.k.a. Gay Dads, is certifying cosmetics products in America using a fake name, Barry Druitt, because he's had a hyphenated name since he had a gay marriage. And I've got legal documents from the FOI request to the MHRA in England, which is like the American um, Food and Drugs Administration. Okay? So he's, he's using a fake name to get medical studies for cosmetics. And one of the cosmetics is rxgenesis.com, as well as newgene.com slash research. Now, rxgenesis has got, you know, gay dads' boyfriend on the front page saying he certifies the product. And what is the product? cosmetics made from stem cells and for some strange reason uh, this guy gay dads on his British surrogacy center is partnered with cryo-cell.com which is in the business only of harvesting stem cells from women's placentas and fetal cords you understand I do. so <laughs> All, I, I'm, I'm speculating here that all the third world eggs that he harvests from American women, so for these gay men to buy babies, and are being, uh, the placentas are being used to make women's face cream to make them look young. It's the Aurelian making stuff out of baby parts. And, you know, it actually could actually be happening already oh, right now. And how, why am I speculating this? Because I contacted Cryocell to say, what the hell are you doing with this psycho gay dads who tweeted to his 150,000 followers, my father rapes children, which of course he doesn't, and there's an Inter Interpol complaint about it, and they forwarded it back to him. And then Barry Druitt Barlow put it on his blog. And now Barry Druitt Barlow is also famous in America. He's moved to Florida. I got Chris, Chris Christie to veto the gay adoption bill in New Jersey. And, you know, that pissed off the queers so much when I told them all about gay dad's operations. And uh, so, anyway, so he's down in Florida now in America running this business. And he's facing a lawsuit in California for selling, um, explo exploiting an American woman to sell a baby, a uh, gay baby to Brazil where the practice is illegal. And in Singapore, that, that, that 377A of the Crimes Act is the crime of sodomy. And he's selling babies in the Straits Times newspaper bragging that most of my clients from Singapore are gay men buying babies. He's a multi-millionaire. And he also made an infomercial selling human flesh on in, that was broadcast on information.tv, Sky, Sky Channel England 192. And you can still see it because it's on his YouTube channel. You search for the... It used to be theparentmakers.com. And one of the flyers for the show that he made, he called himself the Gay Mafia. Anyway, you go to YouTube, theparentmakers.com, and watch episode three in the first maybe five minutes. He gets a product that sells itself. Oh, let me explain the product that sells itself, Sledge. His child that he procured spent the first ten years of its life as a living organism on ice in liquid nitrogen separated at, conce uh, at conception 
from his 10-year-older twin brother. Okay? So, he's got a twin, which is six years old now, with a brother who's 16. And he gets the six-year-old kid to go on TV, or sorry, TV, go on an infomercial that's broadcast as an infomercial that he calls a documentary and say, I'm glad I don't have a mother, and men that do man-on-man anal bum sex are better fathers than all heterosexuals. Now, should six-year-old boys be saying that men that do anal sex are better dads? I know from experience. And how does this boy know that anal sex, men who do man-on-man anal sex are better than heterosexuals? Is this scary? You can see this for yourself. You can even dial up the video now and play the clip if you wanted to or get me to next time. I mean, this is insane. Well, it's not just insane. What you're seeing, to my mind, is evidence of spiritual warfare. And the problem we've got yeah, is that most people who are Christians, for example, they don't pick up on spiritual warfare, they don't recognize it, they don't see it, and they don't believe it. I think these people you're describing, I mean, Alistair uh, Crawley or whatever his name is, I mean, the guy's obviously on the satanic end of spiritual warfare. And they are Pardon me? Even, even the fictional characters in Supernatural are named after him. I mean, it's the most famous Satanist to ever lived. Well, but these people you're talking about, Crawley is just a classic example, but down at the lower level, what you're dealing with is a kind of wickedness. It's not just a question of being gay, right, and having a different sexual perspective. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a question of spiritual values Correct. Uh, again it's, if they're well, fornicating if they're, if they're essentially engaging in anal intercourse what they're doing is they're sodomizing an, Im- an image of God it's, it's, it's an abomination to God it's an abomination to the Christian faith to the Jewish faith insofar as we are deemed to be men and women made in God's image okay? It's well, not an accident. The average person doesn't not, get this, again, in my opinion. They is, would say, I'm the crazy one on this. These people are just motivated by sex. I don't think that's all it is. It may be for a lot of them, no, it's not. but some of them are just motivated. This is spiritual warfare. This is Satanism. This is, well, I think when you take the whole thing as a whole, it, you know, there's no other conclusion that anybody can come to. You know, Because, like I say, 20 years ago, and 20 years isn't that long, this would have been unimaginable. Yeah. I mean, sure, it was going on in back rooms, and, you know, there's always been bad stuff going on, but it was never, uh, it, would, it was unimaginable that any government, judge, media, or anything else you want to know how out in the public Can... would, would be uh, supporting it, defending it, protecting yeah. it. None yeah. of that would have been imaginable. You know, everybody yeah. knew, yeah, sure, people do bad things, you know, but I don't need to know about them. And if we catch them, well, then, you know, they'll be punished. But now, you know, they're being protected. They're being promoted. It's being uh, – and, and so quickly, I mean, I say 20 years, but really in the last eight years, this has accelerated to the point of spooky fast – and when you say eight years, that's an interesting number. Yeah. Yeah, it coincides with something. Yeah, it does. With the Obama administration, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It does. And, uh, you know, 
I, I really think, you know, <laughs> hey, I don't think God's playing around when he said, look, you know, straighten up and fly right or else. And, yeah. uh, you know, America, for one, you know, and obviously we're not the only ones. Uh, you know, some places are even further along than we appear to be. Uh, but we've had our opportunities, you know, to change direction. And as a nation, we haven't. You know, as no, a nation, we haven't. We keep picking the people. Uh, I said back when it happened, uh, you know, with Bill Clinton, I thought, well, for one, I thought, okay, look, man, you know, this guy has committed treason, he's committed murder, he's committed fraud, he's committed theft. I mean, and you're going to impeach him for fooling around in the Oval Office with some girl? Yeah, right. You know, what... What are you doing? Why? And and then, well, it's because, you know, hey, they're all involved in all those other things, but, you know, he was the only one who had a Lewinsky, you know. So, is that the name of a cigar? I think so. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. And, you know, the thing is, though, I thought right then, I thought, okay, though, you know what? There's got to be something more going on here. And I think it was just an opportunity to say, look, yes, this isn't the most serious crime this man has committed, but this is wrong, and as a nation, you have a chance to rebuke him. And we chose, as a nation, not to. And I think that was the turning point when things really started to just go the other way in this country. You know, when you think about it... <laughs> Maybe maybe he was punished enough by being forced to live with Hillary. Yeah, but he doesn't live with Hillary. <laughs> well, at least he appeared to live with her for a while. You know, I mean, maybe at the White House he had to live with her. But after that, man, they got separate houses. They got separate mansions. You know, that's where poor people live. People that are flat broke that, you know, left the presidency with no money at all. Just all the silverware and computers. So. I don't know what's going to happen here. What's the solution to the problem? And the solution to the problem seems to be some sort of a spiritual revival, to my mind. Repentance. And I, you know, I, I don't know that I expect to see that anytime soon. Well, and, and that's one interesting but thing. But we might. I mean, I mean, I never expected the Trump phenomenon to take place either. Well, and that's one thing about Trump. I don't view Trump as necessarily a very, you know, a pious man or anything like that. I agree with you. But... The thing is, see, he doesn't have to be. What he's doing is he is getting people to stand up and say, you know what, if he can say it, I can say it too. Uh, this is wrong, that's wrong. And it might be things that Trump ain't saying. Trump's not saying a whole lot about, you know, pedophiles or gay marriage or anything like that. But people who are against that and recognize the danger of that can take Trump and say, hmm, you know what, if he can talk about building a wall on the Mexicans and banning Muslims and, you know, all these other things, then I can talk about this. Yeah. And, it, you know, it could be a spark. You know, a match doesn't, you know, is not a forest fire, but it can start a forest fire. I agree. You know, so, you know, in that respect, although the American churches have a real problem, you know, they got a real problem, and that problem is money, greed. Uh, lust of money and uh, envy and, you know, covetousness. These are real bad things. And, and it's not so much, uh, you know, every person in the church. It's mainly the pastors. 
They want to live the high life. They want to fly the private jets and have yep. the limousines and the $5,000 suits and the, you know, $10,000 stadiums to talk in and all that. And, you know, that's all good if you're a rock star, but if you're supposed to be a pastor, uh, that's not the job description, really. I understand that, but... Again, are they, when you say they're supposed to be pastors, when they take that 501c3, whether they understand it or not, they've really opened up a state church rather than a church of God. Yeah. And they're trying to serve two masters. At best, they're trying to serve two masters. And the truth is, the real church would not try to serve the the state master. It should only be serving God. And... When they make that choice, and virtually all of them do, some of them don't, but most of them do, um, you can't be surprised if things go badly. And I don't mean badly in the sense that everything is painful and unpleasant. I mean badly in the sense, you know, when you see TV dramas, something about Sodom and Gomorrah, and they will portray Sodom and Gomorrah as a dark and evil place. But I suspect that in reality, Sodom and Gomorrah were probably at least like Las Vegas and perhaps like Disney World. Right? Mm-hmm. They weren't dark and pain. They weren't, they weren't dark and, and, and painful and scary and the rest of that, so much as a kind of perverse celebration. Well, sure, because, you know, I mean, Lot's wife, she didn't want to leave. She liked yeah, it no. there. She loved it there. She yeah, turned no. around and had to have a last look, and, well, that was a mistake. But, I mean, you know, she didn't want to leave. So how yeah. bad could have it been for, you know, for her? I agree. How about the rest of them? I mean, it started out, I think it was, I, I you know, I may be not remembering correctly, and it wouldn't be a surprise if I was making a mistake about this, but Lot was looking for how many honest men? Well, he started a little higher, and then he kind of yeah, bargained with the Lord, because, uh, yeah. you know, the Lord figured, you know, yeah, fine. Fine, one. Nope, no dice. Can't even yeah, find no. one, <laughs> you yeah. know. Which means everybody was in on it. All right? Whatever perversion was going on in those cities, this was not a situation where we had some evil elite that was imposing their will on the public. Well, the public was, yeah, buddy, you know, sign me up. They were in on it also, and that's at least the way I read it. That's well, the apparently, they didn't read even, it. apparently they didn't even have one guy on a box, uh, on a soapbox, screaming, this is the end. Yeah, you I know, understand. I mean, nobody. There was nobody. It was the all bad. No, and well, We're looking yeah. at something like that again today. We are. We really are. And, yeah. and, and people, again, 20 years ago or eight years ago, would have still said, that couldn't happen in America. We're a Christian nation. Well, uh-huh. it doesn't appear to be like that. I mean, we may still, you know, have the sign up, but nobody's home, man. It's an empty building, you know? Well, it's not empty, but it's not as popular. It used to be 90, 95% occupied, and now it's. 45% occupied, or 50 or 55, but it's not 90. Uh, I'm wondering if it, you know, I, like... Well, the, I don't know. They, you know, I mean, uh, how many know. people pay lip service? At well, least? sure, because I'm... Uh, you look, They're susceptible. We, if know. somebody tell them the truth and they could hear it, they might go along with it. We They're mentioned the church. 
If yeah. you take a 501c3, you're not really, you know, you're not really a church of God. You're a church of the mm-hmm. government. Yeah. Well, what about all the people that attend those churches? You know, who are they following? You know, they're they following may... the happy. They're following the happy tidings that the minister is handing out and telling them how to be good to your spouse and good to your employer and uh, good to your dog and your neighbors and rest that sort of thing. But they almost never talk about what your responsibility is relative to government. Sure, and then they also tell you that yeah, you should be nice to this and good to that and good to this and good to that. But if you're not, it's okay because you're under grace. Don't worry about it. You can basically do what you want because you're under grace. All you do is say, see these magic words like the Mormon's magic underwear. You know, put this on, you'll be fine. You know, and I don't believe that's the way it is. I believe there's a little more that you got to abide by. Not necessarily do, but, you know, it's like anything. You know, okay, so you want to join some club. Well, you don't. I, I've i never joined any clubs where they say, okay, well, now that you're a member of the club, uh, go ahead and make up your own rules. You know, <laughs> it's more like, well... Well, that's because you've never been elected to Congress. Yeah, well, that... The that, Senate, they make up their own rules. They have their own little club. Well, that's true. So you were just, you were dealing with lower quality clubs. That's Who true. didn't fully appreciate the idea of making your own rules, but... Hey, I should have been... Wheelers and dealers... I, I, I should have got been, been part of the Republican convention. They make their own rules, too, but not mm-hmm. yet. Not yet. we got to see what, what kind of rules we're going to need before we could go and make them up. Well, it's like, it's like the government adjusting the, the economic indicators. All right? Here's the data. <laughs> now, what formula do we need to take this data and produce this result? And they adjust the they adjust the formula where they can take the data and produce a desirable result. Well, same thing you're talking about with yep. the Republicans. My dad had a, uh, and and he didn't make it up, but you know he told me as a kid, and he had to tell me many times because, you know, he'd make me watch the news, and and then he'd make me talk to him about it, and he tried it. He was trying to tell me, you know, things and. As a kid, I figured, okay, fine. If I got to do this, you know, fine. I'll listen, and he'd ask me, and I'd basically regurgitate what the talking heads on TV said, right? Yep. And I believed them because I figured, hey, they're on TV. Yeah. They're newsmen. The adults approve of them. They yeah. must be. They must be real. They must be knowledgeable. These are the experts. They know what they're talking about, and you're just yep. my dad. So. He asked me, and I blah, 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 basically parrot what they said on there, and, I, and he'd tell me no, and he'd, you know, <laughs> tell me what was really going on, and I'd be like, how can you say that? You know, these guys are professionals. They're on TV, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Who are you? What do you know? Uh, they got the statistics, and they got the figures, and they got all this, and he goes, ah. hey, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. Yep. And I would just walk away shaking my head going, crazy old man. You know, and now, well... And now I'm the crazy now old man. People, now yeah, I are one. Yeah, right. <laughs> now other people are shaking their head at you. Yeah. Well, not so much as much as they were 20 years ago. You know. Well, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's and it's interesting times. It's extraordinary times because we're coming to a kind of crossroads. 
where it's going to go get it's going to get better or it's going to get worse. All right, it's not going to stay the same. We're going to see something dramatic happen here in the who knows maybe the next maybe the next presidential administration. We will watch some sort of a dramatic change where either the spiritual forces of of Christianity and the Bible and they're either going to stand up and begin to succeed or they're going to be driven back into hidey holes and the spiritual forces of evil as 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 nutty as that sounds all the spiritual forces of evil sounds like you know got my aluminum hat on too tight but when you really look around you can see this huh? And you may not see it clearly. I don't claim I see it clearly, but I, but I claim that I can see it. And I can understand that a lot of what we're talking about, it couldn't happen unless the good Lord was essentially allowing it to happen. I mean, there are, there's verse in the Bible describing end times that, that essentially say people like, the people that are, good Christians, that they will be pursued and hunted and perhaps killed. Huh? That was that was that was a hard verse for people to understand twenty, thirty years ago. How could you hunt Christians in this country? That's stupid. Uh-huh. Here we are. What do you think now? Now is it so stupid or is it not so stupid? And what I'm getting to is the kind of pressure that we may be under in in the near future, it may be just part and parcel of end times. And from that perspective, even though you might be hunted, you might be killed and whatever, it becomes a cause for a certain amount of celebration. Because the spiritual warfare is really being waged right now, and it's just and it's not just my imagination. If that's what's really going on, it's evidence that God is real. And even though we may wind up losing for a while, right, or being chased for a while, whatever, just the same, uh, the evidence is in that God is real, right? If spiritual warfare is real, so is a good Lord. And that should be giving people a certain amount of, I don't know, a sense of safety and security, even though you may come to a bad and unpleasant end, still, it might be, you know, that this is, this is God's will. It's ways testing people. See how we react to it. Well, I view it as kind of a comfort, and, you know, because, hey, the bottom line is everybody dies anyway. Yeah. You know, that whole come to a bad end, that's not like negotiable or uh you know it's not uh voluntary or anything like that it's going to happen everybody's going to die oh okay maybe in your sleep peacefully that'd be great but nevertheless you're going to end up a corpse everybody is so you know i i mean okay whether you're hunted down through the woods or you die in your bed it all ends the same so to be able to see it and recognize, wow, this is real. This is really happening. There really is God. He really is on his throne, and there really is a spiritual war going on. 
you know, uh, I mean, being a Christian, uh, that is kind of a comfort. And if you're not, you, you might should be. want to consider, uh, it should you know, be. hey, go on. Yeah, well. It may need a tune-up. Your faith may need a tune-up on this. Um, still, nobody wants to be pursued and perhaps beheaded or whatever. Hey, nobody wants to die at all. You, well, yeah, I understand that, but uh, even that I'm not absolutely certain. I think some people, death becomes welcome in some regards. Well, especially, I mean, gosh, you know, look at all the suicides now. But not an early death, not a painful death. No, and I don't think anybody's looking. Premature death is not what most people are looking for. They're looking to die. In their sleep from mm-hmm. old age. Yeah. Yes. Well, of course. Well, yeah, but, you know, I was looking to be born rich. Look what happened. Well, you were. You just didn't know it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You know? Well, really, you know, I thought we were poor. I thought my family was poor when I was a kid because we lived in a in a comparatively an upper class suburb of Chicago. It was a bedroom community about 50 miles northwest of Chicago, and within the context of that community, we were not we were not wealthy. Right? And I thought we were poor. And then I started traveling around the country. And I realized, oh, my gosh, we were wealthy. And then I did a little traveling around the world. <laughs> All right? And then you begin to see, oh, my God, I thought we were poor. No, we weren't. We are fabulously wealthy. You just understand, you know, you understand whether you're rich or poor by looking at the guy across the street. But in the context of the world, most of the people listening to this program and you and I, we really are. I mean, there's people all, the, all over the world who would murder commit murder to have your life or mine. Yep. All right. So you got to look at that and you got to kind of count your blessings and say, well, it's true. I don't have a Ferrari and a new Rolls Royce, but on the other hand, I'm not living in a hut in India or China or, uh, you know, wherever else in Central Asia or Asia well, I, or whatever. You know what? I, I haven't been had the opportunity to go to any of those places. The closest I got to seeing anything like that was when I was down in El Paso. And I know mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about El Paso, so I, mm-hmm. I suspect you've probably seen this. I was in El Paso, and I-10 is right there almost on the border. I mean, it's, it's real close going yep. through El Paso. And I was in that area, and I was... Kind of like on a hill, and, and there's kind of like a valley. I guess they're the Rio Grande's down there, and then it, you know, it's a hill on this side where El Paso is, and it goes down, and it goes another hill on the Mexican side. And I'm standing there, and I'm on the Mexican side of the highway, and El Paso is basically on the other side of the highway, and I'm I'm looking over into Mexico, and I'm what, and there. And I'm seeing all these little tiny shacks made out of yeah. corrugated metal. Yeah. And these people are, are cooking on tire fires. Mm-hmm. And gives then I... That, and gives like, the food an extra flavor. Yeah. And I'm turning, and I turn back, and I look at a, 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 an American modern mm-hmm. city of El Paso, and mm-hmm. I look over there, and I look back, and I look over there, and I'm thinking, yeah. wow! You know, geez, no wonder they want to come over here. Yeah. You know, uh, but little did I know, they were coming over here. They were just camping out over there until they could. nighttime came, and they were, you know, going to come over. But, you know, that's the difference just in what? That might have been a mile 
at the very most a mile. Yeah. And uh, it's the difference between what we're used to and something that, you know, man, people complain about, oh, boy, you know, my power went out or, oh, boy, this happened or whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. They, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't be wanting to live over there either, but I'm just saying a lot of people just could not handle the kind of poverty that some places in the world, and I'm sure there's places. And it's growing in some places. I mean, population in China is growing. Population in India is growing. Um, that is not going to end well. Whatever kind of trouble you think we may have over here, it's going to be nothing compared to what you're going to see, in my opinion, in China and India. Mm -hmm. They are reproducing at rates that they just can't possibly sustain. And that result will be, sooner or later, it's going to be starvation and riots and violence as people do whatever they can, whatever they can in order to survive. I mean, one of the things that this country should recognize is that we've got a lot of open space in this country. And I guarantee you there are people who are living in poverty around the world who are looking at it and saying they'd like to live there. And if we don't maintain our borders, this country is going to cease to exist. The poor will come in from around the world, and they will come in like locusts. And they'll strip this country bare. And when it's all done and everything has been exhausted, they'll look for another, some other country that is still halfway wealthy, halfway prosperous. And it doesn't matter where it is. It could be in Europe. It could be in Africa. It could be in Asia. Who knows? But they will swarm in like locusts coming in on a green field. And they're going to chew this thing right down to stubble. And then they'll go somewhere else. And the reason it's going to happen is because nobody gets it. <clears throat> they have this idea that we're all equal. Bunch of crap, right? It's not true. We are at least dissimilar in terms of our cultures. When you saw that, those shanties on one side, you know, not separated by a mile from office buildings and small skyscrapers, you could call them that, I don't know that... And in today's terms, I don't know if there's any buildings in El Paso that can be called skyscrapers, but there's 20, 30-story buildings there. Mm -hmm. I haven't been there in years. I don't know what it is. They might have much bigger than that. But the point is because it's only a mile away, this isn't a function of geography. All right? This isn't a function of just natural resources. This is a function. The poverty is endemic in a culture that the Mexican people embrace. And when they come up here, they bring that culture with them. You know, it's like blacks, right? They complain that people, the white people don't like black people. Black people don't like black people. Ask Oprah. Ask Michael Jordan. Ask Denzel Washington. Where do they go as soon as they get some money? Do they move back into the hood? Or do they get the heck out and move into some white community? Nobody likes blacks right now, including blacks themselves. And yet, when they do get out, first thing they want to do is bring some more blacks along with them. And they don't understand, and this is true of blacks, this is true of Mexicans, it's true of every kind of culture, including whatever culture I belong to. Oh, yeah, the area of disease along with us. We are carriers of 
cultural diseases that are contrary to our own interests. And we look at people who've got something, and we have the idea that we can just move to their country because they're rich, and I'll get there, and then I'll be rich. But you'll never be rich unless you abandon the culture that drove you to leave your own country in the first place. Got to give up that culture and embrace the same system of values as the people are getting rich. And most people don't want to do that. They don't understand it needs to be done, and they don't want to do it even then. They say, I don't, want to, I don't want to get like Rockefeller. I want to stay Mexican. I want to stay black. I'm black and I'm proud. All right, be black and proud, but be black, proud, and poor. Right? Watch and see what happens. It's a system of values and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, and, you know, I don't think the Chinese would want a bunch of white Americans moving on in and taking over and uh, saying, hey, we're going to be doing things our way now. The, uh, you, know, I, you know, they have their way, and I don't yeah, think they – nobody want, wants that. Nobody wants their culture to be dis- disrupted, and that's what's happening. And it's part of the reason why Trump is being so successful uh, is because a lot of people have been born in this country, and they – anticipated that it would work in a certain way, are seeing that just shattered and torn apart by our own government. Well, and a lot of people... politicians and presidents and the Supreme Court judges and the rest of that, they're, they're destroying this country, and we can see it, and they just look at it and say, oh, no, we're not, this was done for a good reason. No, it's treason. You're engaged in treason, and we know it. And the problem is, for the moment, we can't prove it. Well, I don't know about that. Well, we can't get it into court just Well, that's true. And into court... But I guarantee you the day is, I believe the day is going to come when a lot of these people, and when I say a lot, I'm not talking about a couple where we make an example. I mean cleaning house. French Revolution. Reason, fine. You're going to be tried. You're leaving. <laughs> Here's your shackles. Here's your chains. You're going to sit in a room. You're going to sit in a cell for 30 days, and then you're going to be tried for treason. And if you're found guilty, you will be hanged within 24 hours. Yeah, French, right. French Revolution. There's going to be BS so, about, oh, we're going to appeal for 20 years or something. No, we're going to take you out there, and we're going to hang you. And if you're a congressman, we're going to hang you right there in front of Congress. We're going to hang you right in front of the Senate, if you're a senator. Where all the rest of the senators, they can walk past the gibbet for a couple of days. No, well, hey, but you know, the Romans had it right. Serious business. The Romans you had it right. You will do what's right for the American people. You will not do what's right for major corporations. You will not do what's right for global free trade and the new world order. We're giving you, if you do, you're going to die dancing on the end of a rope. Well, and, you know, that, that was basically the French Revolution. That's what mm-hmm. happened there. Yeah. You know, and, and we are, we you know, a lot of people... In, the, in this country talk about, well, you know, we need another American. Well, I agree, but it won't be like the first American Revolution unless there are some serious changes very quickly within the church. Because if there isn't, we may have a revolution, but it won't be the American Revolution. It'll be more like the French Revolution, which was a secular revolution. And, uh, they were a whole lot more uh, bitter and uh, revengeful than the Americans were. Well, they had their aristocrats living right there next door to them, where the aristocrats, the English aristocrats, the king and whatever, pretty much stayed in England, and yeah. then they just collected taxes. 
they weren't they weren't right there handy. They said they're soldiers, but the but the real villains, if you can use that term, they weren't they weren't here. No, that's true, but you know, and but I think there was some temperance on on the actions of you know during the American Revolution, based on the fact that as we've discussed in the past, you know, the American Revolution was fomented in in a large degree by the churches behind yep. from behind the pulpit. Yep, you Black know, brigade. And with that comes a certain amount of temperance with your actions when it even comes to war. You know. But if you're just allowed to just go and say, eh, go get them, well, well, let's look at some of the riots. Yeah. I mean, you know, this isn't even this isn't even over anything, really, these people that riot now. You know, it's not no, even I understand. Really over anything. They just want to push around, push and shove a little bit. And they, the, the problem is you don't, people don't appreciate how enriching or impoverishing their culture can be. And they want to cling to the culture, and they say the reason we're poor is because we're oppressed. No, you're not oppressed. You're not being oppressed. The reason you're poor is because you have embraced a culture that is stupid, self-destructive, and unproductive. And you cling to it as if it's some sort of a blessing, and it is, in fact, a curse. Well, it's the system of values that keeps people poor. It's not the people, you know, you listen to blacks. Oh, we're being oppressed. No, you're not. Martin Luther King in his I Have a Dream speech at one point, he said, I have a dream that one day my little children will be judged by the content of their character rather than the content, by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. That day has been here for a couple of decades, and I'll bet you the 30% of blacks in this country want no part of it. No. They want to be. They need racism. They want to be judged by the color of their skin. And that's the thing. Martin Luther King didn't say, one day my children will have a free ride and they can play the fool. He said, one day my children will be judged by the content of their character rather than the, con- rather than the color of their skin. People are being judged. If you're a damn fool, nobody wants you. You're going to live in poverty. You want to embrace values that are stupid, non-productive, self-destructive? Fine. Free country if you want to do it, but don't come whining and cry, oh, they're discriminating against me. No, you are crippling yourself. And then it's handy to blame it on white folk. They be oppressing me. Bunk, we be judging you. Not oppressing you, judging. And if you don't embrace the values that are going to do us any good, you're not going to work, not going to do, not going to study, not going to learn, can't learn. I don't know what the problem is, but... That it's the system of values. You know, maintain it? Fine. You're going to have, you're going to take that system of values, live in poverty. Take another system of values, you got a shot at prosperity. I think we have a shot at saying good night because we we're out of time. We are. Thanks for having me on. Always, Frank. Always enjoy having you on. Thanks for being on the program. I'm Alfred Addis. This is the American Independence Hour. We'll be back next Tuesday in the meantime. The good Lord bless you, me, Frank. And Luke, the guy who called in. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye.
Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
yo. <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign and nail it up on a knotted pine tree. Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt and your rambling don't rattle me. All right, good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Tuesday, May 10th, 2016. It's about eight minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time, and that's when it is where you're at. We're live, 800-932-1980 is the call-in. You can also go to the chat room, which is located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see a chat link over on the left-hand side. Click it, and you can go in there and uh, socialize with the other folks, ask questions, make comments, whatever you'd like to do. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I only mentioned you can go there now to participate in this show because I also am in the chat room. Hey, and my name's even showing up there, so, you know, you can see that I'm there. And uh, sometimes I'm there and you can't, but and I don't know why, but it just that's the way it is. 
But for now, I'm there, and you can see that, so that's why you can participate in the show. But you can show up in the chat room almost any time, and there's usually, it seems, somebody there. Now, I'm not there all the time, even though my name may be there when I'm not there. Anyhow. <clears throat> yep, 3 o'clock in the morning, you wake up, got insomnia, check out the chat room. There may be somebody else sharing in your insomnia, and uh, you'll have somebody to talk to. Anyhow. I'm not going to give you my uh, why uh, my uh, Yahoo Instant Message. Yeah, sure, I will. It's AVRN Talk, but it's not on right now. It's uh, you know, uh, Yahoo's been giving me trouble, and I'm getting about tired of it. You know, <laughs> far as I'm concerned, this is another Carly Fiorina at work. Okay, that's what's going on at Yahoo. Okay, they got a Carly Fiorina there. Like driving that company into the dirt. All right. Remember, Yahoo used to be like the, the Google. Woo, what happened? Yeah, what happened? Go check out the CEO. That's what happened. Same thing. Oh, Hewlett Packard used to be. Yeah, what happened to them? Yeah, well, Carly Fiorina happened to them. That's what happened. Anyhow. Uh, here's a story that I'm going to start with because I, I had brought it up uh, during Al's show there. And it, it, it speaks to what we were talking about before the caller called in with, by the way, a really uh, interesting uh, bit of information, disturbing, you know. And uh, it just goes to show, folks, that, look, there are places in the world we think, oh, we, we know, we look around the United States and go, what? What do you mean transsexuals can use the bathroom with my daughter? What? And and we're outraged. And we're disgusted by these judges pushing these, uh, saying, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. The Department of Justice saying to North Carolina, oh, you can't make a law that says you got to use the bathroom of the sex you were, they say, assigned at birth. Yeah, that's right, you do. You know what, folks? What what it is, is actually... Uh, you know, I hate to say this, because what I'm, uh, what I'm about to say is really the... Look, there's a reason why we were all taught not to take the law into our own hands, okay? Call the authorities... Let justice take its course. Okay? I don't know. You, weren't you taught that? I was taught that. But we are getting to the point where there is not any justice. And men and women are going to have to start taking justice into their own hands and administering it as they see fit. And you know what? A lot of people go, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's scary. Scary? Yeah, it can be scary, because really, I mean, I, I meet people that I wouldn't want them administering any justice uh, around me. I wouldn't even want to see them administer justice on anybody else. However... They are the minority, I believe. 
The majority of people have a sense of justice. I believe this. Now, it may not be the exact same justice that I would, you know, oh, I don't think, you know, I think you're going too easy. I think you're being too rough. I think whatever. But people have a sense of justice. These degenerates that call themselves judges, they don't have any sense of justice. Justice is not what they're what they're thinking. They're pushing a particular agenda. Justice never enters their mind. This is not a justice system. This is an agenda system, is what we have here. You know, and I don't want to see that because, quite frankly, when people have to start taking and administering justice on their own, independently of any kind of government authority, well, that pretty much is, you know, spelling the end of civilization. That's just a fact. Because when everybody is the law unto themselves, that's not a civilization anymore. Now, I'm not for the, uh, you know, centralized government sort of uh, thing. But I do think it's good, like, hey, let's say you live in a neighborhood and somebody gets robbed and everybody figures out who it is and they say, okay, we're dragging you in front of the neighborhood. And now the neighborhood's going to decide what to do about you. You know, I I think that's how it ought to work. Because, you see, you're going to have some people that are going to say, hang that guy, shoot him, cut his arms off, you know, so he can't steal anything anymore. Then you're going to have the voice of reason saying, now, wait a minute. Shouldn't we maybe find out, well, why did you steal that? Why did you do this? What were your reasons? What was your intent? Let's temper our punishment. See, that's what you get when you've got more than one voice. So, you know, but hey, it is what it is, and we're on our way, folks, for whatever it is. Okay? Anywho. Oh, let's see. Oh, let's see, let's see. Congratulations, liberals of the Washington Press Corps and elite organizations. You're a bunch of suckers. We all know this because the Obama White House just told us so. In an astounding New York Times piece by David Samuel, senior White House officials gleefully confess they use friendly reporters and nonprofits as public relations tools in the selling of President Obama's foreign policy, and can do it almost at will because these tools are ignorant and will believe what they're told, will essentially take dictation, and are happy to be used to get the information necessary for a tweet or two. Their greatest triumph, according to Samuels, was selling a misleading narrative about the nuclear deal with Iran, 
the parameters of which were set a year before the administration claimed and which had nothing to do with the fact that a supposedly more accommodating government had risen to power. The mastermind of the Obama machine is Ben Rhodes, a New Yorker who joined the Obama campaign as a speechwriter in 2007 and has risen to become the most influential foreign policy hand in the White House. Now think about this, folks. Think about this. A speechwriter. So all these wonderful speeches we hear are not the words of the man speaking them. And that's not, look, this is not a slam on Obama, because <laughs> let's go back to your favorite Ronald Reagan. He didn't write those speeches either. All right? Now, okay, for every president you can say, well, but he does pick the people who write the speeches. Okay, so he has some influence on what he's saying. But the speechwriter writes the speech. Not the guy speaking it. Folks, that you know, that shouldn't even be allowed, I don't think. You want to give a speech, write your own dang speech. You want to be an actor in Hollyweird, then get a speechwriter. Anyway, so you go from a speechwriter to the most influential foreign policy hand in the White House. Well, why not? I mean, you write these great speeches, you you know, okay, so you hand the, the guy this speech, he goes up there and everybody cheers and loves him and says, man, that pre oh, we love that guy. Hey, guess what? They might all be fooled, but the guy who read the speech ain't fooled. He knows who wrote the speech. He knows who got him those applause. He knows why everybody likes him because, hey, everybody likes the guy who wrote the speech that they'll never know. So now he's influencing foreign policy as if we had one. We don't. This nation doesn't have a foreign policy. A policy is something you stick to. Okay, a policy is something that you know has some. <laughs> has some coherent path to it. Do you see any coherent path to what we call, laughingly, U.S. foreign policy? Unless death and destruction is a, you know, a, a policy, okay, well then I guess we got one. Rhodes drips with contempt for almost everyone but his boss. He consigns all those who do not share every particular of the Obama Rhodes foreign policy perspective to a gelatinous mass called the blob, including Samuel's rights, Hillary Clinton. He thinks as little of them as he does the journalists he and his team must spoon feed. The average re reporter we talk to is 27 years old, and their only reporting experience consists of being around political campaigns. Rhodes says, they literally know nothing. Well, I guess we don't have to wonder why the mainstream media is such a pathetic embarrassment when it comes to journalism. huh? 
Then there are others. His assistant, Ned Price, refers to as force multipliers. Do you know what force multipliers are, folks? Okay, a force multiplier is like, uh, let's speak in military terms. So I got me a squad of guys. Let's say I got me 25 guys, okay? And we got rifles, and uh, we're out in the field, and we're fighting the enemy, and, uh, hmm, gee, you know, they got bigger guns, they got more guys, they got, you know, we got trouble. We need a force multiplier. Like, uh, hey, I know. Let's get us some M60 machine guns. Let's get us some flamethrowers. Let's get us a couple of Abrams tanks. Those are force multipliers. Okay, because now you still got the same amount of guys you had in the first place. But now you can exert a lot more force. The force you can exert is multiplied by the tools you now have. Get it? Well, what they call force multipliers are more senior reporters and pundits who parrot what they're told. I'll give them some color, Price says, using the journalist, journalistic term, uh for juicy bits of inside baseball detail. And the next thing I know, lots of these guys are in the dot-com publishing space and have huge Twitter followings, and they'll be putting this message out on their own. Are you getting the picture, folks? If you're getting tweeted or watching some Facebook or going to their websites of any major mainstream news agency, it's mostly BS, okay? You're going to have to have a very discerning spirit in order to, you know, guide your way through it. Oh, and for those of you out there that think, oh, discerning spirit, well, I don't go in for that Bible stuff, okay, then you need a, B, a good BS meter, okay? Got it? A foreign policy reporter named Laura Rosen, the most credulous conveyor of pro-Iranian deal news last year, is given a specific shout-out by White House digital guru Tanya Samander. Laura Rosen was my RSS feed, Samander tells Samuel. She would just find everything and retweet it. The Iran deal, you may recall, was wildly unpopular with the American people. To ensure senators didn't cast a two-thirds vote against it and kill it, the White House set up a digital response war room, whose purpose was relentlessly to make the case that a vote against the deal was a vote for war. It could only work if water carriers did the White House's job for it. And nonprofit water carriers did their faithful duty. We created an echo chamber, Rhodes tells Samuels, about the journalists and think tankers who were discussing the Iran based deal almost entirely on information given to them by the White House. They were saying things that validated what we had given them to say. 
a self-authenticating story. Isn't that great? Do you, okay, now let me ask you something, folks, because when Hillary Clinton finally starts campaigning against Donald Trump, things are going to get real ugly. The press is going, you think Trump has been hammered so far? The media, the Justice Department, that's another story today, the Justice Department, Justice Department employees, $27 million or $27,000, I forget how much they've given Hillary Clinton. These are the people who are going to decide whether to prosecute her or not are donors to her. Big donors. They've all given the maximum that an individual can give to a campaign. And these are the ones that are going to decide whether she gets prosecuted or not. Is anybody smelling something bad here? Little did these denizens of Rhodes' echo chamber know their loyalty would be seen as servility and would become the subject of post-victory gloating. Quote, we had test drives to know who was going to be able to carry our message effectively and how to use outside groups like plowshares. Plowshares. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Plowshares, plowshares. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what the communists said they were going to do with their guns. They were going to beat them into plowshares. Remember? The Iran Project and whomever else, Rhodes says, so we knew the tactics that worked. This is how they, this is how they convinced the American people that, hey, this policy we want to pursue is what's best for America. Sure, is to trick you, to lie to you, to get their little minions to trick you and lie to you. You know, folks, if it's such a great idea, why do they have to lie to us? You know, and now that they've come clean and said this all, why doesn't the Senate of the United States and the House of Representatives say, hey, guess what, we're repealing that deal? We did it, and we can undo it. Oh, I know why. Because, you see, you're not standing at your senator's door with a pitchfork and a bucket of tar and feathers. That's why. No, really, it's getting to the point, folks, where that's about the only thing that's going to get these guys' attention. Because, you know, we say, well, we'll just vote their dirty, rotten butts out of there. Yeah, and then their dirty, rotten butts will go to work for the same people that they were carrying all this water for. The storyline they peddled was that the Iran deal had been negotiated in a furious round of back and forth in 2014 and 2015, with the United States getting far better terms out of Iran than it expected due to the flexibility of a newly moderate government in Tehran. It was Samuel, it was, Samuel says, a deliberately misleading narrative. The general terms were actually hammered out in 2012 
by State Department officials Jake Sullivan and William Burns, rooted in Obama's deep desire for the beginning of the administration to strike a grand deal with the mullahs. Now, why would Mr. Obama want to strike a deal so badly with the mullahs? Because he's a stinking, raghead Muslim. That's why. And any of you stinking, raghead Muslims that don't like that, that's just too bad. Turn off the radio. Get out of this country. And you know what? If you are living in Iran or some other Arab country that is Muslim, then this doesn't apply to you. Okay? I apologize to you because, you know what? I don't care what you do in your country. You can be whatever you want to be in Iran or Saudi Arabia or Syria. I don't care. I think our government is wrong to be over there messing around with you. I don't care. Be whatever you want to be. But if you come here, you cause any trouble around me, and you'll need that rag. Why on earth was such conduct remotely acceptable? Because Samuels makes clear, Rhodes and Obama believe they're the only sensible thinkers in America. And that there's no way to get the right things done other than to spin them. I mean, I prefer a sober, reasoned public debate after which members of Congress reflect and take a vote, he tells Samuels. But that's impossible. Impossible? There was a sober, reasoned debate over the Iran deal. Its opponents were deadly serious. In the end, 58 senators voted against it on sober, reasoned grounds. What the Samuels piece shows is that the Obama administration chose to attempt to get its way, not by winning an argument, but by bringing an almost fathomless cynicism to bear in manipulating its own clueless liberal fan club. Wow. You know, that's the whole thing. (laughs) You know, you you see these people with the Obama stickers, or worse yet, the Sanders stickers. And, And I mean worse yet because, look, Obama at least, you know tried to lie to these people, and they're stupid, so you don't have to be that good of a liar. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm an American. Oh, yeah, 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 I love America. Mm, sure I do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and they, oh, well, he's black, and he loves America, and he's a Christian, so let's vote for him. Yeah, great. Okay, Sanders says, I'm a socialist, and that's that. Here's my plan. Let's give away everything. Everything's free to everybody, and we'll just tax... Uh, Well, we'll tax whoever's got anything left, okay? And we'll keep doing that until nobody's got anything left, and then we'll all starve to death like has happened in every single communist country anywhere at any time. The only question is, is that going to be before or after you go out and create, uh, you know, commit genocide against the American people? Hmm? Like has also happened in every communist country that's ever done it. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a bit. People say 
crazy as a loon Cause I get stoned in the morning I get drunk in the afternoon Kinda like my old blue tick hound I like to lay around in the shade And I ain't got no money But I damn sure got it made Cause I ain't asking nobody for nothing If I can't get it on
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, I'm always getting into trouble. 
<laughs> and leaving little girls who hate to see me go. Well, they tried to hang me up in Oakland, and they did in San Francisco. But I wouldn't choke, and I broke their rope, and they had to let me go. Oh, cause I'm bad This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Tuesday, May 10th, 2016, about 842 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we're live. Go to the AmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. That's where everything you need to know about this network is found and the chat room's there, so you can uh, go on in there. Okay. Oh, by the way, did you, see, did, did you hear any, oh, I don't know, similarities in that song, in those songs? Well, I bet you did because uh, Charlie Daniels got sued over that by uh, John D. Loudermilk, who did bad news there. And, uh, you know, sounds a lot like Longhaired Country Boys, uh, you know, riff there, don't it? Well, it is, you know, that's because it is, but hey, ah. Anyhow, so I gave you the two things there, Charlie Daniels and uh, John D. Loudermilk. Now, I brought you a story the other day about FedBook. Now, you just heard that story about how the White House manipulates reporters, and uh, you heard the story yesterday about how FedBook manipulates its news feeds. What's trending isn't really what's trending. They decide what's trending. Well, the liar CEO of FedBook... And no, uh, you know, it's not uh, that other guy that is there. This is some guy named, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, oh, Fedbook Honcho, Tom Stocky. Yeah, he says it's all, yeah, this is just not, no, 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 that's not true. It's None of it's true. None of it's true at all. It's just not true. No, no, no. We wouldn't do anything like that. Oh, gosh forbid. We wouldn't do anything like that. Ha! Come on. You don't believe that, do you? Of course we do. Everybody believes it. Now, here's the thing. It's $75,000. Hillary rakes in nearly seventy five grand from Justice Department employees. Yep, Clinton's received nearly seventy-five grand in political contributions from employees at the Department of Justice, the agencies that going to decide whether or not to act if the FBI recommends charges against Clinton or her aides following its investigation into her private email server, which had top-secret documents on there, that which which was hacked by Grucifer as one, and. Analysts have found out he's not lying. He's provided proof that, no, he really did hack into her servers several times. It was easy, he said. Hmm. 
Yeah, Justice Department employees have given Clinton far more money than her rivals. Now, you know, Bernie Sanders is out there. He's the socialist. He doesn't like the go. Oh, wait, he loves the government. That's right. He wants to give away things. Well, they've given him uh, uh, let's see 228 employees of the Justice Department have donated to the uh, Clinton 12 of them have given the max which is 2700 bucks for individuals of course you know if you're a pack hey sky's the limit millions millions give them to you know like Ted Cruz got from Goldman Sachs if you're a pack or something, you can give millions. But if you're an individual, you can only give $2,700. Anyway, uh, let's see. Last election cycle, when she was running against Obama, she only took in fifteen grand. let us see here. Uh, Sanders... Mr. I don't take money from there. I'm not. I'm an independent. Uh, I'm a yeah. Sure, he's taken eight thousand nine hundred from Justice Department employees, which you know that's well, that's a lot. It's not you know seventy five grand, but hey, I could do. Hey, you know what? I'd accept eight thousand nine hundred dollars. I'd be real happy with that. And then there's Donald Trump. Yeah. He has taken in two contributions from Justice Department employees, totaling a grand total. A grand total. Are you sitting down, folks? $381. Boy, I bet you Donald is sure glad he got that 389 extra bucks, huh? Because that's going to make the difference right there, boy. Yeah, buddy, $381. Oh, man. Uh-huh. Well, here's some decent news. I don't know if it's good news just yet. But we'll see. It's looking like it might be good news. Rhode Island parents are winning back their rights to vaccine, a vaccine choice. Families in Rhode Island are winning the war against mandatory vaccination. Why am I telling you this? Because Rhode Island's such a small state, and, you know, most of you probably don't live there. But because if they can do it, you can do it. Okay? If it can be done, it can be done by anyone. All right? Anywhere. They have joined together with two powerful advocacy groups whose efforts have successfully aided in the introduction of five legislative bills to their state government related to vaccine choice. Their diligence offers a strong example to other parents who also question the implications of mandating so many vaccines. Currently, listen, the Centers for Disease Control recommends 69 doses of 16 different vaccinations by the age of 18. 69 doses 
of 16 different vaccines. Wow. Different kinds of exemptions, including religious exemptions, medical exemptions, or philosophical exemptions, are available in all 50 states. But some state governments have recently increased their efforts to limit vaccine exemptions and make additional vaccines mandatory for school attendance. Now, let's look at the catch-22 here for just a second, folks, because a catch-22 can work both ways. Because the law cannot in, the law cannot require the impossible. That is a maxim. And if any judge out there says, I don't care, I'm requiring it, I don't care if you say it's impossible, I'm telling you to do it. That's the time his head needs to explode. Okay? Because that individual is a criminal, is a tyrant, and needs to go away. Because here we have, okay, so I have an exemption. Uh, philosophical, religious, and medical. Okay? It's poison. You know, it goes on and on. So you have exemptions, so you take them. And they say, well, yeah, okay, but you can have your child exempt, but if they have to go to public school, they must get these shots. And the law, another law, requires... Now, let's just take homeschooling and private school out of that, because that is not... That's just not being done by that many people. Okay? Private school is just not available. It's not possible for most people. Private school costs money. Okay? Lots of money. If you've noticed, the economy of the United States is not going in the direction where people are making more money every year. Okay? They're making less money every year. Homeschooling, again, if you got both parents out there on the grind working, uh, you know, two part-time jobs each, they ain't got a lot of time for homeschooling, do they? I'm sure this was all just by accident. Just an unfortunate happenstance, right? It couldn't have been an agenda. It certainly wasn't a plan because that would be a conspiracy to destroy the American family. And nobody believes that. That happened, does it? Do they? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. I guess my tinfoil hat's on too tight, huh? If I believe that. Not so funny anymore, is it? Because now, more and more people can see it's happening. And it is happening, and it isn't an accident. People are starting to realize that. Powers of beer just hoping it's too late to do anything about it. But it's never too late to do anything about it. It's never too late to say no. Oh, I realize I said yes before, but I didn't know any better. Now I'm saying no. Oh, well, you know, if you said once one time yes, uh, then yes, it's yes for the rest of your life. Screw you. No, they try to tell you that, folks. You think I'm kidding? You think that sounds ridiculous? Well, that's what they tell you. When you... Uh, oh. Okay, uh, well, we'd like you to answer a few questions. Well, sure, I got nothing to hide. I didn't do anything wrong. 
to what most people think when the authorities want to have a word. So you start talking to them, and then you start realizing, hey, wait a minute, it's starting to sound like uh, you're thinking, I did something here. Well, you know what? I'm invoking my right to remain silent. Oh, you can't do that. You already talked. You already started talking, so you got to keep talking. Screw you. No, I don't. Oh, well, the judge, I don't care what the judge says. Yeah, contempt? Oh, no. No, 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 no. See, contempt? Contempt? Contempt would be a step up for what I feel for judges, okay? Contempt would be a compliment compared to what I think of judges. And yes, I'm sure there are exceptions. There has to be a couple of decent judges somewhere in this country. I mean, it is a big country. So, you know, I realize that. And if you're a decent judge, then that doesn't apply to you. But if you're most of the dirtbag pieces of garbage that call yourself a judge, it does apply to you. You know, and one part of me, you know, look, one part of me is like everybody else, man. I don't want any trouble. I don't want a war. I don't want catastrophe. I want to keep electricity. I want all that. I want, I just want things to go back to, like, kind of normal. Where, look, if you're some kind of deviant freak, keep it in your house. I don't want to know about it. Nobody else wants to know about it. Just shut up and and go in your house and, and, and close those drapes, would you? And we can all just go to work eight hours a day, get paid enough to do the, you know, have the things we all want to have and just have a nice life. I mean, that's what I would like. But then there's another part of me that says, you know what, bring it on. Shut the lights off. Let's get this on. Because you know what? Part of me looks forward to meeting some of these judges when the whole thing has gone down. Because you know what? It's going to be a real short meeting. I, I, honestly, folks, it's, it's it's terrible. But so they say, okay, so you got your exemption for your uh, whatever reason, and you, you don't have to get your kid vaccinated. So the kid gets to be four or five years old. You want to send them to school, and they go, well, got to have these shots to go to school. Well, yeah, but I got an exemption. Oh, well, that doesn't count for school. Okay, fine, then I won't send my kid to school. Oh, it's mandatory. So it's mandatory you get the shots, and it's mandatory you go to school. Or we take your kids away from you, and we shoot them up anyway. That's where California is at right now. And you wonder why I'd like that whole cesspool, stinking piece of filth state to fall into the ocean and take every last Californian with them? You wonder why I feel that way? I've had the misfortune to actually live in California for well, almost a year. Maybe combined, uh, it was a year. Yeah, that's the kind of state. And you can blame the government. Oh, it's the go. You know, well, you can't blame the people. You're blaming all. Uh, yeah, really. You ever had any Californians move in anywhere near you where you live? Huh? They ain't the government. Okay, they're Californians. What do you think about them? How do they act? Are they the ones that go, well, that's the way we did it in California? 
Yeah. Forget the fence on Mexico. I say fence off California. Anyway, families in Rhode Island are doing this. And uh, let's see. uh, In 2005, many Rhode Island parents were outraged when their State Department of Health mandated at least one dose of HPV vaccine for 7th graders in order for those children to attend school. The HPV vaccine is supposed to protect against a sexually transmitted infection caused by the human papillomavirus and later the development of cervical cancer. The HPV vaccine is currently recommended for young women and young men beginning at age 9 when they may not have even entered puberty and are not yet sexually active. Gregory Zimmet, a psychologist who has uh, studied people's attitudes towards the HPV vaccine, a vaccine which has generated a greater controversy than other vaccines, noted that this vaccine is directed at 11- and 12-year-olds to prevent something that might not become an issue for 10, 20, 30 years. He added, it's hard for people to see the connection and feel it as strongly. Furthermore, this vaccine has a history of being unsafe and ineffective. Hey, here's a short list of the of the effectiveness concerns regarding this HPV Gardasil thing. HPV is a killer vaccine. Scientists explain why HPV vaccines are unsafe. No benefit to Gardasil vaccine. Gardasil new study brings more safety questions to life. Flawed safe. These are all links. Okay, these all go to full-length stories explaining. Flawed safety study on HPV vaccine triggers butterfly effect. Deaths associated with HPV vaccines start rolling in. Over 3,500 adverse effects reported. Lead developer of HPV vaccine comes clean, warns parents and young girls. It's all a giant deadly scam. Why is the CDC ignoring explosion of recorded HPV virus injuries as other countries move to take protective action? A study reveals serious HPV vaccine problems, fainting, blood clots, death. All links to full-length stories, folks. (laughs) Well, I'm almost out of time here, so... I'll just uh, fill you in on tomorrow when I get here. I'm going to start with this, divesting from the prison profiteers you support every day. That's right. This is about more about, hey, boycott, boycott, boycott. You like private prisons, do you? Do you like slave labor, do you? Well, if you do, then this will be a list of companies you should do business with. But if you're against that, and this will be a story about companies that you don't want to do business with. But that'll have to wait for tomorrow because I am out of time. And we got good stuff coming up, as always. Documentaries and then uh, some replays from today. If you missed them, we'll be on. And I will be back again tomorrow at noon. As always, thanks for listening.
don't like my big red barn. A 47 Ford bullet holes in the door broke down motor in the front yard. <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign and nail it up on a knotted pine tree. Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt and your rambling don't rattle. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. strange place for two teenage boys to be, lying on the train tracks in the middle of the woods near Bryan, Arkansas. By the time the three men and the lead engine of the northbound Union Pacific saw the boys, it was already too late. Risking derailment, the engineer threw the mile-long train into emergency and laid down on its horn. Despite the vibration of the tracks, the screeching of metal against metal and the deafening blast of the horn, the boys didn't move. The train's powerful headlight allowed the engineer, conductor, and brakeman to see that the boys were lying side by side across the tracks in identical positions, their bodies partially covered with a tarp. Moments later, the train overtook the motionless boys. The victims were Don Henry, 16, and Kevin Ives, 17, both of Saline County, Arkansas. They would have started their senior year at Bryan High School the next day. Kevin had spent the night at Don's house, and the two had ventured outside a little after midnight, never to return. Little did anyone know at the time that these two friends had unwittingly stumbled upon an underworld of drug smuggling and government corruption. A cover-up of unbelievable proportions was about to begin. 